Hello, everybody, and welcome to the debut of the official Sliders and Socks Clubhouse podcast. I'm your host, John Thayer. You may know me from that other podcast we have on this website. Um, we started this one because I wanted a chance to chat about um, weird-ass old obscure RPGs with people who are actually interested. Um, and that would be our friend, uh, Tom. Hi. Um, Bill. Hello. Uh, and Fresno. Hiya. All right. So we're all here because we've been doing the SNS Clubhouse Plays um, forum thingy for a while. Basically, it got started a while back when I really got interested in playing the original Hydlide for some reason. So I got, I started like, I mentioned it on Twitter and then I went to the forum and tried to get as many people as I could to play Hydlide with me. And like two or three people played it with me. I tried. I, I, I couldn't really get into it, but I gave it a shot. What? Maybe I, maybe I didn't give it a fair shot, but what? I don't know. was great. What are you talking about? I dabbled in with like the <laughs> Japanese PC ports, and that's true. Uh, you those did. were tough. Like you didn't have magic in those, so it, I remember. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, man. yeah. I played the NES <laughs> version. I dab. I checked out both of those versions. The Sharp X um, X1 version has horrible music, like way worse than the others. Oh, oh gosh. a lot of them do actually. Yeah, yeah, um, but like especially bad. Like I listened to it on PC88 and the NES, and then the X1 version as like specifically much worse music than the others. And now the soundtrack I listened to is all 80s funk, so I'm not sure what soundtrack <laughs> you're talking about. So obviously playing Hydlide was a great success. Um, and then we moved on. I think Fresno did the next one? Yes. Yes. What'd you do? Oh, I did this little obscure Game Boy game that I heard about from Jeremy Parrish's Game Boy World. And it sounded really interesting at the time. It was a little obscure gem from, like, the first year of its life. It was called the Final Fantasy Legend. I don't know if you've mm. heard about it. Nope, never heard of it. <laughs> is, is this like a like a Pokemon game or something? Because that, that's yes. all the RPGs I know of on the Game Boy. <laughs> that's, still, that's still probably my favorite game that we've done on this thing. <laughs> so well, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I know you. Yeah, it's, for, for, for yeah. the uninitiated, uh, Final Fantasy Legend is also the first game in the Saga series, which, if you've listened to the Soxcast, you know, John has a lot of words to say about Saga, and Polly and Rhett have lots of other words to say about how silly John is for loving Saga so much. You know, I don't think fart noises are considered words, though. <laughs> I'm not sure I really qualified. In some languages. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm really qualified to be the Saga guy. Because I've really only played the first three um, Game Boy games, but I can't do have a lot to say about those games. Um, and I've dabbled in some of the other ones. Hopefully, oh, I'll help. be I'll be able to earn that qualifier in the future. Um, All you gotta do is beat Romancing Saga. You can do it. And mm-hmm. no, we played we played Final Fantasy Legend, and we all really really loved it. <laughs> we really loved that it. game. Is yeah, that game is I think the best. Like I think it's my favorite Game Boy RPG. I think even more than Pokemon Red. <laughs> I, I don't know. Red and blue. Dragon, the Dragon Warrior games. It's really special. I love those. It's really impressive considering that it's often considered the first portable po- RPG, portable role-playing game. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's cool because it kind of reminds me a lot of the um, glitchy, purposefully glitchy, weird, um, f- just frightening modern indie games like. Uh, Yume Nikki or Problematic. 
just intensely psychological and dark and that, surreal. That one floor that's nothing yeah. but stairs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that shit. That, this is my experience playing Final Fantasy Legend is that I had dreams as a child where I would play a bunch of Pokemon Red and then I'd have these nightmares where I would play these really warped and distended versions of Pokemon Red. The stuff that existed just outside of the dungeon walls and whatnot. Because those games, just the Pokemon the Pokemon games are so evocative. And they gave you, <laughs> they, they were really kind of frightening for a little kid because there's so much world in these little games. And... I... I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, when I first got Pokemon Red, I, I, I remember having, uh, like, nightmares about my Pokemon being poisoned for some reason. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, whenever you got your Pokemon got poisoned and you left the battle, like, there was always that chance that your Pokemon would, would faint on the way to, like, a Pokemon. Yeah. So, and that would scare the, the crap out of me. Absolutely. Those, there's something evocative about old school jrpgs especially like mm-hmm. in the grayscale portable format that mm-hmm. makes them kind of feel unreal and frightening especially to a little kid mm-hmm. especially saga because it's yeah also how it plays too it's a weird game it can it can mess you it can mess you up also accidentally yeah. if, you, if you're not yeah. careful saga feels like that nightmare i the nightmares i had brought to life what mm-hmm. i loved about saga is that it's so thematically ambiguous Mm-hmm. And like, there's mm-hmm. all these shades of darker themes, but that's just it. There, there, there isn't any room to make this overly long, elaborate feel about something. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's it still has this through line mm-hmm. at the end with the creator, or oh. it's, it has this kind of anarchic spirit to it. Yeah, I had just... an amazing, I had an amazing uh, reading of that that I posted on my blog space at one yeah. point after I beat the game. Mm-hmm. I wrote about these, um yeah, I wrote about themes, it a little bit in for Zeal when I wrote about Saga too. Yeah, Tom. Mm-hmm. All those themes that come, you know, those themes that seem disjointed just come together at the end. It's like life or something like that. I don't know. Enter no. enter something like that too. I don't know. It's it's a game where you kill God and they really kind of went for it in what yeah. that means. And it's kind of the anti Dragon Quest in that sense because Dragon mm-hmm. Quest games are very conservative. I think and, there's a lot of also the create the creator also it, it's. It's probably the English translation, level but it's like the, it's the creator as well. It's the creator, uh, which could mean God, but could also mean a pro, you know a director, mm-hmm. a programmer of a game of some kind, Absolutely. which is what Final Fantasy Legend is in both. Uh, yeah, and this in both, you're playing it, and the whole thing God has created this game for human to, for humanity yeah. to play, <laughs> to climb the tower and to defeat the ultimate evil. Yep. It, I think it works with both readings. Honestly, is the really mm-hmm. cool thing that they're both completely consistent. Yeah. So, any any other thoughts, Bill? Well, I was going to say like, um, well, I played the uh, Wonderswan retranslation, although like the graphical updates uh, maybe kind of uh, unambiguitize, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. some of the more uh, creepier aspects of the Game Boy original. Uh, I found like the differences between the different the, the official American script and the fan translated script to be kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Like, in the original Japanese script, uh, God, or the creator, or whatever, uh, like, created the four uh, legendary beasts mm-hmm. out of his own boredom. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my god. That, also, yeah. that brings into a lot of it also. <laughs> wow. 
So I, I can, like, bring back the whole uh, Kawazu as creator thing. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. I don't know, it just makes the game just really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely because something haunting about it. There's mm-hmm. um the, the, the room with the bookcases that tell you oh. there is a, someone above Ashura, and the hidden bookshelf that leads to the most powerful spell in the game. Um, just the that player. whole room. Yeah, that whole room felt very evocative and kind of like the, um, that one room in Pokemon where it's like, where they talk about Mewtwo's origins. Mm-hmm. How about that room with the dead kids? The room with the dead, and there's the room with the dead kids in Final Fantasy Legend. <laughs> that reminds me a lot of Pokemon also. That oh, doesn't remind me so much of Pokemon. Final <laughs> Fantasy bit. Legend is a nightmare brought to life. Um, <laughs> when you play it with the remade versions, it probably makes it a lot more accessible, and, you mm-hmm. know, that comes at the expense of some of the, uh, game. You know the sad thing too? Nightmare. Yeah. I own that. I have owned that cart for years, and I've only gotten past the first world before. <laughs> oh my on that, and actually, like repl- I played on a on a cart actually mm-hmm. when I did play through it th- again this time. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like I, playing it on an actual cart on a oh yeah, and it's I mean it's make it even plays, more scarier. It plays really well on it too. Cool. The thing too, I mean, you still have the you know the you can reload the game really fast if you need to. If you can save anywhere. Um. It's just like going to save, like you know, save stating too, like we have today on it. It's really easy to play. That's really smart. Mm-hmm. Oh, that you know, uh, yeah. Now that I think about it, uh, I'm not sure if if Final Fantasy Legend. Wait, did Final Fantasy Legend have like a soft reset option? Like if you press, it does. Yes. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. so it does. That might be the first uh, Square game to actually have that. Uh, Soft reset function? AB. Oh, yeah. Cool. That's, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's a brilliant invention. Two. Yeah. It does the soft reset. That's really good. Yeah. It's really smart, for especially for that game, which has a lot of starting uh, resetting. <laughs> and that soft reset oh, yeah. feels so natural, like you know, in other games, it's something that just kind of came to them. like, oh, it's what works here. All right, good. Yeah. I'm gonna need that. I played Saga Two right after it, and that one's it's probably better. It comes with the uh, at the expense of a lot of that weird crunch. Mm-hmm. I beat the first world so of that good, one. Aesthetic. Yeah, Saga 2 is like one of my favorite games ever, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah. that's less, I don't think that's a clubhouse game, though. But it's good shit. That's good it shit. is. I'll probably play it at some point. So uh, the next clubhouse game was something that Tom suggested. That's true. That's right. I picked a game that had haunted my childhood for years. <laughs> yeah. And that game is for is Lagoon for the Super Nintendo. Oh boy! <laughs> this is an early, this is an early action art, But I'll give you a little bit of a backstory of how do I came across this game. I picked this game up at a garage sale. <laughs> actually, no, it wasn't a garage. No, it was a flea market like years ago. I think I was nine years old, actually, when I first played this game, and I was able to go through the game. I beat the first dungeon, actually, as a kid. Uh, played through all of it. Uh, not all of it, though. I got to uh, the second dungeon, and then I got myself destroyed in there. Although, a lot of the tricks I learned kind of going forward, I didn't know then, so actually this is a lot easier going into this time. Lagoon's an a- is an action RPG by Zoom, in, like, by Zoom there, who's done a couple of the games for the Sharp X68000. It's actually a port of a game for the X68000 Lagoon. This is true on there, and that's, uh, the 
X68000 version is kind of different. Zealous, you have a little bit more experience with that one, right? Um, yes, I haven't gotten very far into it, but, like, they've changed a lot of... Not a, like, they've changed how combat works entirely when they mm-hmm. ported over to the uh, Super Nintendo, and they cut out a lot of things, too. But I think that's probably because they were moving from, like, a uh, five-inch floppy to, like, a dinky... Uh, Super Nintendo cartridge, which back then didn't have a lot of memory. Right. So, like, with the piece, like, with, like, the X68K version, you had this, uh, kick-ass opening, anime-esque opening, and, uh, a lot of other, like, character interactions that weren't in the Super Nintendo game, such as, like, Nasir's sister and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, various other things. Like, I think the, that one, uh, the Child of Darkness guy, I forget his name. Uh, his he, Thor. Yeah, he had a bigger, uh, role in the story. He was I actually think. the, vi- he was actually the villain in the, in the 68,000 version. Yeah. Uh, instead of being this, uh, this child led by, you know, by this evil dwarf wizard. On the, what, what is his name? Uh, Zera, <laughs> that's his name. Mm-hmm. On there, uh, Zara. Basically, the whole story of the game is that there was a child of light and a child of darkness born, and this evil dwarf wizard guy Zara stole the child of darkness to raise as his own, uh, to eventually awaken this evil spirit lurk- hiding beneath Lagoon Castle. That's interesting. It sounds kind of um, like an old fairy tale. It is. I really like Lagoon's light and dark, like a story of light and darkness. It's really good, uh, and the whole game just. It sort of comes to a basically the water around this world, this land, Lakeland, has been pollu- is being polluted slowly mm-hmm. and tainted, and it's because of the actions of this wizard, uh, you know, slowly raising Lagoon Castle, causing contention in the, in the the kingdom there, and then actually raising Lagoon Castle from this you know, from the water into the sky, and you know mm-hmm. stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. Cool. What y'all think of that game? I, I actually missed this one. Okay, so I like I like the world of the game, and I I liked its fairy tale esque story, and the music was great too. Like That's for cool. an early uh, oh, the music is wonderful. Like it has that early uh, uh, Super Nintendo Chemco game sound. Like if mm. you've played like Draken on the SNES, you can kind of recognize <laughs> oh, it. <God>. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy! Please don't pick that as a. Please don't pick that one. <laughs> I, I uh, promise I won't pick that one. No. Nah. We can pick a um, sequel. <laughs> oh, I have played a little bit of that. That is nice. That one's nice. Uh, anyway. Go um, on. But <laughs> I can't think of one good thing to say about the, the gameplay. I'm sorry. <laughs> How that game like, plays. Okay, so... Um, it's basically like di- Ease, right? It's somewhat. Um, a little bit. <laughs> I always Sorrow. described it as a janky ease. Janky ease. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> okay, so this is a this is Walmart brand ease, is what this is. <laughs> Great value ease. <laughs> Great value ease. Yes, <laughs> a lot cheaper than in some of the ease games, by the way. But I mean, hey, it's you know, it's Lagoon. <laughs> that's that's true. Um, but hey, it's Lagoon. <laughs> this is the only one I think that. Um, I remember Polly on the other podcast being like, oh, why did they pick that? <laughs> well, here's the thing in my response to that, too. Yeah. It's not the size that matters. It's how you use it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
That's fitting. Life is good. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, okay, here's the thing. The sword, again, you're attacking with... Oh, it's a very small sword. It's a small sword. (laughs) And it's inconvenient to use. Um, yeah, but you kind of have to basically, like, position yourself to the end, like, to the enemy, and the best way to hit it, and the kind of time hits as enemies are coming at you. Gotcha. sword. kind of like ease in a way, because, yeah, in ease you had the bump system where you had to attack things off-center, and in Lagoon you kind of have to do the same thing, attack them off-center, and get them in a rhythm. Gotcha. Now, um, the X68K version, though, kind of changed that up to where, um, when you extended your your sword, if you held down the button, the sword would stay extended. So it would be kind of more like Tower of Druaga, where you could legitimately just run through enemies instead of have them run into your little dinky mm-hmm. sword thing. Cool. Well, being compared to Tower of Druaga is just a lovely comparison for any game. Man, right? I, I, yeah. I really want to play Tower of Druaga someday. It is a game I want to get into, but I'm really scared of the same that time. Game is, that game is brutal. It's beaten me over and over again, and I still keep coming back to it. That game is really <laughs> ugly. <laughs> it is one of my. It is one of my favorite games. Awesome! You know, it All is right. a game that is like deliberately designed for like community play because mm-hmm. uh, the original uh, arcade machines would have like this hint book positioned like on the machine, yeah, so that people, whenever people found out a way to uh, reveal a treasure, because each of the floors in that game have like a specific treasure and mm-hmm. i think you need uh-huh. to get like all of them to actually clear the game so i think there's one you had to miss on there to clear the game oh, just, there are... just to be clear for the folks at home tower of draga is basically like using the flute to reveal the entrance to the seventh dungeon in legend of zelda only that's the entire game over and over in different ways does that sound it's, about right it's i think it might be worse than that <laughs> go on oh my it was god said to be like the inspiration for all the secret like all the uh secret stuff in Mm. like super mario brothers and the legend of zelda because it it predates those games by a a fair bit Mm -hmm. 1984 yeah it's pretty early yeah i'm good but it's a very fascinating game um, i'd say although if you want a good game the uh the roguelike that game is you know that's Ooh, based on I that game. That. Uh, you know, it's a Nightmare of Draga. Oh. For the oh, PS2. For the PS2. That game's actually pretty good. Uh, if you ever want to just go yeah. into that. I, I it's, have it's, that. It's a, mystery, it's, it's a mystery dungeon game. It's a, you know, it's like chess, you know. It's a roguelike like that. <laughs> Neat. Well, you know what? Uh, Tower of Draga's really fucking important. Because if it weren't for that game, then that game directly inspired a lot of Legend of Zelda. And it directly inspired a lot of other games. Yeah. So, inspired Hydelight. Alongside Hydelight, yeah. Hydelight and Ease and just all sorts Lagoon. of those early games that Where we were very before. easy to kind of shit on, but are One thing about important. Lagoon, SNES version, yeah? I will say this, though. Its blocking mechanics are really interesting. That's like the best part of the game, though, the blocking mechanics. Cool. Where basically, if you don't have your shield out, or if you don't have your sword out, enemies really can't hit you if you're coming from the front. They'll well, bounce off true, of you. Huh? They'll oh, bounce so off you're of like you. playing as a dark nut. Yeah, you're basically yeah from your front. You're from the pretty front. much protected <laughs> cool. from, the, yeah. from the front there, and that's kind of where you have to keep positioning in mind of enemies coming to you. That sounds interesting. On that, and that's that's the best part of Lagoon there, and its mechanics. Then you get magic too, and that's also that's also helpful. Cool. cool. On there, you have the, these different you have these different stabs and these different crystals, and you have to combine them into different spells. And actually, only the first two are the most useful. <laughs> 
cool. <laughs> the final rod is useless. It kills any, all enemies on the screen. And that's it. <laughs> Dang. And oh, that's yeah. It's not useful at all. You just want to keep your regular magic. Gotcha. So and then bosses are. So at this point, have all of us picked one? Sorry, I kind of interrupted you there, but um. Uh, and the uh, bosses of Lagoon Two are yeah. There you go. That's all I'm gonna say. The less <laughs> said about them, the better. Gotcha. Let's just say that. <laughs> okay. I want to. There's one particular boss in Lagoon that made me rage quit so hard I went and beat a story in Saga Frontier because it was easier. <laughs> was, it, was it Ella? Goddamn Ella. It was yeah, 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 Ella. Okay, here's here's the thing. There there are two good things I can think of that came from Lagoon. There's the happy video game nerd game cookie video on it, and there's PJ's speed run single segment on it. Have you have you guys ever seen that speed run? No, I the, not. Yes, I have. <laughs> you should watch it. It has audio commentary too, so it's just a bunch of speedrunners snarking at Lagoon for an hour and a half. It's incredible. <laughs> Speedruns of bad games are just so fascinating, though. Oh yeah. I mean, you can get entertainment either out of watching it as a straight speedrun or turning on the commentary and just hearing the snark. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to link me that afterwards. That's really fun. I will do that. Cool. Okay, yeah. so the next game. On our uh, SNS Clubhouse yeah, th- is one of the ones that we started the big podcast here for. Yeah, take, I guess we're take kind it away, of, John Fire. I guess we kind of like. Well, I guess we wound up kind of talking in depth about a bunch of the different games that we've played so far. We started though intending to talk about the last two that we played in depth because those are the ones that are just freshest in our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, first one picked by me, and the second one picked by Bill. Um, so I picked a Sega Game Gear RPG by Sega called Defenders of Oasis. Now, what was the first thing that came into y'all's brain when I mentioned this originally? Game Gear RPG, I'm in. <laughs> cool. Oh, this, um, this seems I, nice. I've heard good things about I was gonna, this. I thought, oh, it's ba- like Beyond Oasis. But oh it's not. <laughs> it's I unrelated. grew up with Beyond Oasis. I love. I like Beyond Oasis anyway. Cool. So I've always known about this game, but I've never sat down and play, you know, played it. Cool. Well, I've never I, played I Beyond Oasis, game. and that, this game is, as I understand it, no, not formally related at all. <laughs> it's not, but it's. Oh, yeah. It has the same sort of feel. It has the same sort of feeling, though. That's cool. On like, that. I just like the, the setting theming. Mm-hmm. Cool. It's got that sort of Aladdin vibe to it. Just. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what though? Um, this game actually predates Aladdin in both like its uh, original American and. Japanese oh, theatrical right. releases. So I should yeah. probably just say like Thousand and One Nights. Oh yeah, it's... Um, feel rather than Aladdin feel. But well, I mean... Aladdin is a is a story from the you know the Thousand One Nights yeah. too. So, but the there fact that like this game and Aladdin came out both in '92, uh-huh. relatively close to each other, but like the game came before the movie. It's just so it's it's so weird, like how those two are just so. Chronologically placed together like that. Yeah, really close. Localization and all that, I believe, is part of that probably too here. Mm-hmm. That makes well, sense. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> so, this is basically an, a pretty, tr- unlike Beyond Oasis, this is just a pretty traditional turn based 8 bit JRPG. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting about it, though, is that it's an 8 bit RPG that came out in 1992. So, well after the release of the Genesis and even after the release of the Super Nintendo. So, that's what most 8-bit RPGs series had already transitioned into the 16-bit medium. So Final Fantasy had, Final Fantasy IV had come out when this game did, was the start of development. 
just it's the same thing as kind of like Pokemon, where the, this is an 8-bit RPG that came out after they had kind of fallen out of fashion. And I think that you can feel that in just sort of the design forward thinkingness of a lot of this game. Does that make this sense to you is... Yeah, oh, this makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's also by the people that made Fantasy Star 1 and 2. So that's... Ah, and that puts a lot more context into this, too. Exactly. So this is also kind of like a stripped-down, um, streamlined, lighter, handheld PS2. successor to P- Fantasy Star 2. Exactly. A lot less difficult. <laughs> oh, it's a lot less difficult than Fantasy Star 2. <laughs> now, I would like to point out that... Um... I looked up this game's credits in uh, Moby Games, and mm-hmm. a lot of the Fantasy Star 1 and 2 alumni went on to work on the graphic elements of uh, Defenders of Oasis. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really pretty game, right? Yes. Yeah, it is. I really like the colors. I played it on my 3DS, because it's on Virtual Console, mm-hmm. actually, for like four bucks. Yeah, yeah I, I, did, I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think we I all too. played it on the 3DS. Cool. And I, I actually turned on like the uh, motion blur to like have it um, make it look like an actual uh, ah, that's so did, nice. did you put did you put on the game did you put on the game gear frame and make it a little post oh no scale? no that's like way too it's so too small screen. it's one but, pixel like, per pixel still... of game gear except that the pixels the resolution on the 3ds screen is so much bigger so oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just micro stamp sized and i'm dealing with a new 3ds xl here so <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah that, that, that makes everything else different too jeez <laughs> But I'm actually somebody who grew up with the Game Gear instead of the Game Boy. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. So I come into this a little bit differently. <laughs> really? I what suppose. kind of Game Gear games kind of resonated with you as a kid? Because I had a Game Gear as like a side carry. I got one used like mm-hmm. well into the two, into, in 2000 plus. I had um, a lot of. As a curiosity uh, on the side after we'd gotten Game Boys. I had a lot of Genesis, like a Genesis downscale conversions huh? when I grew uh. up. Actually, well, though, the game that probably resonated with me the most on the Game Gear is Baku Baku. The Game Gear version of that. What's that? Baku Baku is a puzzle game. Cool. And basically, the whole thing is zoo-themed, so you have to match different animal icons to their food icons. So, like, you have to have the monkey, you have to match it to the bananas. <laughs> and the monkey <laughs> will eat the bananas. And other <laughs> monkeys in its path. As well as yeah. like you know the the panda with the bamboo with bamboo and you know lion I think lion has something else too with it and it's kind of cute. And the main character uh, you know main character is going around fighting people with the zoo animal thing. It's it's poyo poyo style stuff. That sounds adorable. pretty cute. It's actually it's actually a Saturn game that you know it's a downscale from a Saturn game. Oh wow, that's pretty weird. So mm-hmm. on the, I actually I need to find that Saturn game on there. <laughs> So I, I mean, that's one of the Game Gear cartridges that I still have. I still have Baku Baku on there. And then uh, the other ones, I do like Sonic 1 on the Game Gear also. Mm-hmm. And Sonic, Ka- oh, Sonic Chaos 2. Sonic those games Chaos are hard. Especially. I had the Sonic games, and they were really hard. Right? I played one of those for something. Um, yeah. They're not, actually, they're not that bad, honestly. Okay. I don't think they're, I don't think they're ever that bad. Especially, like, Sonic 1's pretty good, pretty tame. Cool. Uh, Sonic Chaos is also pretty tame, too. That's Sonic 2... Sonic 2, on the other no. hand... Maybe I'm thinking of Sonic that's 2 That's the one. Here. That's the one that's really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I beat that one on Master System, and it was god-awful. <laughs> that, game is, that game is probably the one 2D Sonic oh, game I don't it's, recommend. It's so much worse on Game Gear, though, because... Oh, like, unlike, yeah. crunch. unlike with Sonic 1 and like all the other Sonic games on the Game Gear, Sonic 2 keeps the same... Uh, 
sprite dimensions as the Master System version. So everything is so like zoomed in. For a game that's about going fast, you don't know what's going to come up ahead ahead of you. That first level, that first level Sonic Two is also really tough. I don't think I ever got much farther than that. But Green Hill Green Hill Zone's the third level of that game. That's the fun thing. Um, there's some other Game Gear games too. Um, mm-hmm. I actually didn't. There's some I actually didn't play either. Like uh, I didn't play the oh, what they called the Shining. I did not play the Shining Force games on the system yet. Uh-huh. Uh, those are on my list. Actually, that game is on my list to play. The Sega CD version. I want to play that. Oh, Ooh. Final Conflict is really good for the Game I know, Gear. I've heard very good things on it that. Is so good. I really liked the Power Rangers and Shinobi games. I, I like. Uh, I played the movie. I played I, the Power Rangers movie game. Yeah, <laughs> me too. There's one cool game on Game Gear that I like. That's a kind of obscure. It's called Psychic World. It's like I've a heard of action, It's a little that. action platformer with you're a little Esper girl and you have psychic powers. It's I'm sold. It's, it's nice. I like it. Cool. Uh, a word about Psychic World, though, I'd probably recommend like playing the MSX2 or Master System versions, because when I've tried playing the Game Gear version, it has this one thing where if you hold down right or left for too long, your character starts running for some reason, which mm-hmm. leads to like, getting hit when you don't want to, and oh. it, it, it's kind of messy. <laughs> but like the oh. game is really good. That's yeah. cool. The game, yeah, the game Gear itself is a really cool system. It's basically a portable Master System. Is yeah. what it is. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, there's a there's a converter for Master System games for the Game Gear. <laughs> yeah. On there also. That's you know that's cool too. I believe. Uh, yeah. I'm right. peeking at the MSX version. It looks like that game has the running too. Or maybe that's just like if you press a button or something. Well, I mean, like if you hold hold down left or right mm-hmm. for a, a period of time, your character automatically starts running. Gotcha. While like in the MSX version or I think the Master System version, you had to. Like hold on a separate button to start cool. running or something. Yeah. Yeah. This game looks mm-hmm. re- pretty interest. This game looks pretty interesting. I think that we can safely say that the Game Gear and the Master System are very SNS Clubhouse core experiences. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Funny you should say that. Like after we finished <laughs> Defenders of Oasis, I went on this sort of Master System kick. Or it was more of just a eight bit Sega in general kick. I bought. A U.S. and Japanese version Master System. <laughs> and, I bought, oh a, uh, I bought and a Master System a... last year. <laughs> I didn't buy a Master System, but I was really considering it. I kind of got into a kick of playing Master System <laughs> stuff, too. So this kind of speaks to the effect that Defenders of Oasis had on us, I think. Because yeah. I played yeah. I played a shit ton of Fantasy Zone on Master System when I was done. I, I, gotta, I, gotta look at my, I gotta look at my list and see what I beat on Master System now. <laughs> see if there's I can buy a here. Game Gear copy of Psychic World for five bucks right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, Game Gear games are exceedingly mm. cheap. That's, I know. I guess another reason why I bought a, a Game Gear, too. Cool. And it came with, like, the uh, Power Rangers uh, Game Gear game, which is probably my favorite, like, game other than Defenders of Oasis currently, because mm-hmm. that game's a really good... Uh, like beat em up fighting hybrid game. Yeah, I like the way that that game kind of implements the story beats from the cartoon into a fighting game format. Oh, Master System yeah. owes even... Master System's also like 15 bucks for Psychic World. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Can we, is it okay if we kind of um, start oh, yeah, guiding things move. back to That's, Defenders okay. of Oasis? Okay, yes, yes Defenders <laughs> of Oasis now. <laughs> yeah, so All right. That's, that's fine. So I think that... Th- I think what's special about this game 
is that it is just really relentlessly elegant in the way it's put together and the way it's designed in a way that not a whole lot of 1992 RPGs or before were. Do you think mm-hmm. that's fair? The game that's saves fair. every step. It saves that's, every step. That is amazing. The I... game doesn't do that in 2015? Pokemon. <laughs> you still have to manually save in Pokemon. And then in Defenders of Oasis, it's saving every single step, um, except for during boss fights. And it never gets you stuck in a situation by doing that. That's the most important thing, too, though. You never get stuck by doing, you know, with that either. A saga game couldn't do that because that would be disastrous. No, no, manual. I I think I'm not seeing a case for like every game should be like, you know, auto save like that. I think it works for Defenders of Oasis, but other games, I I think even Pokemon, I don't think it works. I don't want to manually. I don't want I don't want to save automatically in Pokemon. I want to choose when I want to save that. That's fair. But sure. the Defenders of Oasis is built around it, and it feels much more streamlined and fitting oh, to yeah. a portable system for doing so. Mm-hmm. It's just really confident and modern. Though you can like bump into corners, and you'll automatically like kind of walk around the corners. It's it's not locked on a grid, um, which no. is really nice and cool. Um, has sort of a clean interface. Um, there's no world map. You just go the. Um, there's a handful of areas that you travel travel to as the story demands that are all mm. kind of fleshed out. Mm. So it's, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like later SNES RPGs like Earthbound or Mario RPG where it's just kind of moving from set piece to set piece. Mm-hmm. But it's while still that. maintaining kind of that dungeon crawly crunch of something like Fantasy Star. Yeah. Um, Especially some of those later, dun- those later dungeons in the game oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, boy. Yeah, it's calling it comparing it to something like Earthbound or Mario RPG doesn't really work either because those games like streamline the RPG experience to the point that it's really just there as a way to serve the story and the set pieces, which is valid, right, right? You, you know what though? I think Defenders of Oasis like really mi- reminds me of the first Mother, but like on a much smaller scale, much more streamlined. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. I can see the, that. Yeah, like the high encounter rate and mm-hmm the tough enemies of, like, a Mother 1. And the relentless dungeon crawls. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so, I, I guess it kind of resembles that yeah. game more. It, it feels, the... but it also, Mother 1 had those huge, 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 wide-open maps that's that you true. could just get lost in oh, for yeah, ages. Those... Well, that's what I was saying. It's like a more condensed version. One yeah. that's suitable for a portable system, mm-hmm. you know. So, it feels very kind of modern and well put together without sacrificing the unique allure of games like Mother 1 and Fantasy Star and Dragon Quest. Because we all agree that those games are special. Oh yeah. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. Very much oh, so. Oh, duh. Like, if we, talk, if we go onto, our, onto another podcast, they might say, oh, those games are grindy and boring. <laughs> but <sighs> I think we know... We... It bothers me with the whole grindy and boring. That, that's a discussion <laughs> for another time. Yeah. That, that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> it's... Well, well, he, here's the thing. Um, I, 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 Mother One is a little grindy, yeah, but uh, oh, yeah. A, I, I still love it. And B, if you're really that concerned, just get the tomato patch of <laughs> Mother 1 and 2 and get the easy ring. And mm. you just turn it into this beautiful little light RPG where you just explore this wide open world. And you don't really have to worry about, oh, gee, this area is pretty tough. I better grind levels for two <laughs> hours. Yeah, that's kind of the thing is that these old games are kind of grindy and boring. But mm-hmm. 
in doing so, in being so, they possess a flavor that's unique from a lot of their successors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't remember Defenders of Oasis being that grindy. No, I don't remember oh, no. any grindy. Really. Because, like, the high encounter rate would always grant you enough experience to make it through the next mm-hmm. part of the game. But it Absolutely. felt balanced enough that I would also felt like the boss fights were all exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I mean by it just being very elegant. Um, it keeps... It keeps... The, the dungeon crawls are, like, pretty concisely put together. They're mm-hmm. really dense and have a lot of battles and just, like, little tiny like bite-sized gimmicks for each dungeon. Um, like the tower and the enemies that teleport you around. Um, yeah. Oh, man. So in that sense, it, you feel like some of this fantasy star spirit, but it never gets to like kind of the ridiculous levels that those games, through the ridiculous levels that those games threw at you. Oh, yeah. Even yeah. at its worst. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a light 8-bit JRPG. Yeah. In a way, yeah. Without being a light... 16-bit RPG squeezed into an 8-bit RPG, kind of like Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, Pokemon is... Or it's, it succeeds games like Earthbound, which are very accessible, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I really like Defenders of Oasis for being probably the most streamlined and accessible version of this kind of RPG experience. And really why it works, too, is because it's a hand, it's a handheld RPG. It needs to be stream, you know, it needs to be streamlined in order to have that pick up and play mentality and then like, you know, pick it up, put it down for a second. That's why the autosave is there, too. Absolutely. That you can pick it up and put it down. It's a, it's convenience method, yeah, but Mm -hmm. that's also what makes that game really work. It's playable in short bursts. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. Well, this is what I got into because I'm more of a marathon person myself, but. I found that I couldn't really play this game for more than a couple of short bursts because the high encounter rate, which is there to level you up, oh, yeah. but after like more than an hour or so, it just got really annoying, and I'm just like, <laughs> look, look, yeah. get, yeah. get away from me. I'm trying to get out of this dungeon. Stop. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> That's very fair. you take it in short chunks like that, or you're just going to get annoyed if you don't like constant random encounters. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> also, it makes it work, too. <laughs> so that's thank God for the auto saving because it's just like yeah you know you can play it down whenever you, you, you want you kind of might want to take a break so if whenever you want to take a break just take a break and you come back right where you were yeah what I, I really like about it Game Gear RPG on a Game Gear game it's the coolest thing yeah <laughs> like like one of my favorite handheld systems keeps getting yeah. cooler <laughs> I love it <laughs> it's very uniquely designed as a portable RPG it's the only mm-hmm. it's one of the handful of Game Gear games that was made exclusively for the Game Gear it wasn't a oh, ported yeah. Master System game or something like that mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of surprised, like, not a lot of, uh, well, at least not a lot of the portable RPGs I've played actually Im- implement that sort of, uh, autosave system. Like, the only other game I know that has an autosave system that's, all, that's a portable RPG is, uh, Great Greed for the Game Boy. <laughs> and that game, uh, coincidentally enough, was released mere days, like, I think after, no, no before, um, uh, Defenders of Oasis. I'm looking up Great Greed right here, too. It looks, this looks pretty interesting. It's very interesting. It's like, it has that sort of uh, dynamic, fast clip that Defenders of, Defenders of Oasis had. Um, and, like, all the battles are, like, one-on-one fights, kind of like the first Dragon Quest. Except that, uh, instead of using a menu to select your uh, <laughs> a 
attacks, like each of the buttons on the Game Boy does a certain thing. Like one, like the down button, I think guards and the, like the A button attacks. The only thing about that game though, is that the music is god awful. Okay. <laughs> so if you do intend on playing it, I suggest just muting the sound entirely. Cause it's... I'll, uh, I'll put on my music to grind to list then, I suppose. There's not a lot of grinding in there either, I don't think. But... There's a character named Microwave. Oh, the game's, the game's world is just so quirky. Like, for one mission, for like one side quest, you have to go into this vinyl record store and uh, seek out this uh, old lady who used to be a singer and have her like press a vinyl record for you to take to like this village it's it's really charming cool there's a character named princess citrus (laughs) (laughs) kitty in trouble okay this (laughs) this is also an old game boy rpg right this is also again fitting in the fitting in sns clubhouse core 1993 huh cool well yeah um but defenders of oasis yeah about that game um Another thing, I really like the way that the game handles its plot, because I feel like in a lot of these old 8-bit RPGs, they can, and a lot of just RPGs, period, it can fall into a very rote um, pattern of sending you on kind of goose chase dungeon crawls. And I feel like this game did a good job of always making me feel like there was a reason to be going into each area. Mm -hmm. Did y'all have that experience with the story? Oh, yeah, I mean... Especially the second, you know, the second chapter there, you know, you get to the port there town to stock up on supplies, and that's why you're there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. From that, then you get attacked, and now you're stuck there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just very, um, mo- lots of momentum to it and propulsion, mm-hmm. which is you weird always, for, sorry. which is really weird for an 8-bit RPG. Yeah, Bill? I was going to say, like, you always have a reason to be in the place you're in. Like, the game does a really good job of uh, justifying like it's different uh, locales in the game you know yeah absolutely which is just really cool and unique compared to a lot of um rpgs of that style like even the fantasy even fantasy star um mm-hmm. i really admire that with defenders of oasis and uh, just also the boss fights this is something that rpgs have never been good at was making you feel like the bosses are there and are actual characters and are there to attack you for a certain reason mm-hmm. you know yeah like, I play yeah. games like um, Chrono Cross, or even like Final Fantasy 6 VI and 7, and they will fling bosses out of nothing, just thin air. Yeah. Fling bosses at you. And it's really kind of insipid. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird thing that is true of many, many RPGs. And again, it's similar to Fantasy Star 2, which has a boss basically at only the points it needs to have that boss. Mm-hmm. On so it there. has very few of them. So it, the first, it, has it has like three of them? Three uh, maybe four? Maybe four uh, if you count the one you can't win? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> that's really that's really cool. I really like that. Um, because it just feels more meaningful to me. Because, you know, the reason that I re- Defenders of Oasis really resonated with me was that I was playing it at the same time as Saga 3 on oh, okay. Game Boy. Which was not made by the same people who made Saga 1 and 2. It's made by the people that made the Final, Fan- Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Oh, the Mystic oh. Quest is the best RPG ever. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and that game has like 10 world maps. It has a dozen different characters. 
It has tons, like 30 dungeons and bosses at the end of every dungeon um, that are all just nothing. Uh, the main villain is just nothing. I don't remember <laughs> what the main villain wanted or what his name was. Um, and the whole game is just this... There's so much stuff and none of it, like, has any impact or means anything. Because they, they, like, blow up your airship and then five minutes later you get an identical clone of your airship that works what? exactly the same. What? <laughs> it, it sounds like it's essentially how not to do a JRPG. Uh, not how not to do a portable JRPG, the portable JRPG. Yeah, basically. <laughs> It's and I heard like people really liked Saga three and it really weirded me out. <laughs> That's because they didn't like Saga one and two for some reason. Yeah, That's... true. And then it... <laughs> Saga three is more traditional uh... than your typical than your uh, Saga one and two there. Yeah, but then so is Defenders of Oasis. It actually does it well though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. The 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 last dungeon is really fucking long, and some of the bosses are do just kind of spring out of nothing, and that's mm-hmm. true. Um, that's probably... Did, what are y'all experiences there with the pacing in the last dungeon? Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be quiet on this point, because I actually, I will fully admit, I've not completed Defenders of Oasis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did not complete it there, but uh, mostly because I had a, I somehow got distracted with something there. That's okay. Old RPGs, you have to be in a specific mood to oh, experience yeah. these games. And if you fall out of the mood, then there's not much you can do about it. Well, I can shiny. <laughs> I can say that the last dungeon, it felt like a bit too steep of an escalation. Like, a, okay, so Chapter 4's dungeon was three floors long. Two of them were, were basically a little puzzle, okay, right? Mm-hmm. And then Chapter 5 comes, and you've got this multi-floor tower where you've got to go back and forth between floors and all this stuff. And then you go to, like, a dark world with an incredible amount of boss-class enemies that come at you, and it's like... Wow, this this jacked up in difficulty. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a bit excessive. What do you think, Bill? Um, you know what? Um, I don't think I had that much of a problem with the final cool. dungeon. Like it was long and had a lot of tough encounters. I'll give it that much. Mm-hmm. But uh, like, okay, so once you got at the end of the uh, tower segment, it, the the final dungeon is divided into the tower and then. What's essentially hell. Mm-hmm. But and they also give you a um, they give you a shortcut from the bottom to the top of the tower. That's what I'm getting at. Like if, yeah. once you finish the tower section, you get a shortcut to go from the top to the bottom, so you can like heal up and get all your healing supplies. So the next time you come to the tower, you don't have to deal with that crap again. Mm-hmm. Oh man! And um, like once you're in the underworld, uh, if you cast like a certain spell that the genie has that doesn't cost any MP, mm-hmm. you can teleport right back to like that uh, griffin rock thing that teleported you to the underworld to begin with and just go back down the tower and heal up. It's not very hard to exit out of these dungeons. Which is really nice. Yes. I wish another specific Famicom RPG had the same kind of thing going for that with a specific setup. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. and, oh uh, my god. I, I, I beat that this year. Can I, can, if I can talk yeah, about talk that. Yeah, about, talk about do. that if we're talking about excessive Final Dungeons. Oh, that that was hell on... Uh, that was just terrible. Just because I, I eventually made it up there. Cause I, I, and 
did all the thing, but I was two under level, so I had to spend like two hours just down in the basement of Forbidden Land Eureka, grinding enough levels so I could survive all the flare waves and meteos and crap. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it, it took me a couple tries of going through, like going through this multi-floor dungeon. I had the map out and everything just to get wiped by one unlucky meteo. It really sucked, let me tell you. Oh. <laughs> I played Shinigami Tensei 1, too. And, and again, and it, was, it was a big escalation, like... Uh-huh. It felt like the other dungeon. It was sort of, sort of a better build, but it was still a really big escalation of difficulty. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that um, there came a point. Like I, I played the DS version earlier this year, and there came a point where I would have rather dealt with the bullshit of demons, uh, demon souls, than with Final Fantasy III. Oh, that, that's just a <laughs> <laughs> give testament on how shitty that game is even especially as like a game that was touted as a portable game i mean the ds version ex- um specifically but yeah i beat the ds version first i was i made it through that somehow mostly. <laughs> man it's been a while since i pulled that one out yeah i mean it's, it's like... not a it's not a bad rpg but it's just not a good portable rpg that makes Unlike sense yeah i can understand that i feel like when we, I feel like the the last dungeon, Defenders of Oasis, can feel feels kind of excessive pacing wise, but when you compare it to where things were kind of at at the time, maybe it feels a little yeah more forward thinking. I guess take like a take the moon from uh, Final Fantasy IV. Then That's true. Oh yeah. yeah. I, there as well. I mean, uh, talk about like 1992. It's so there, long. the moon. Then you have like Secret of Mana, the oh, Pure no. Land. I quit the, the game Land, at Pure and then Land. Mana Fortress. <laughs> I quit the game and watched the rest of it on YouTube. If we're talking 1992, uh, Final Fantasy V is up by about now, so the the Void. The the Void, void. yeah, that's a a long one, too. Mm. Oh, but you get, like, a save point, like, right before the final boss, though. Mm. You do, so that's that's nice. Yeah, Ford has, I think, one obvious save point and then one very hidden save point before one of its toughest optional bosses (laughs) in the last dungeon, which is pretty ridiculous as it's, like, 13 floors still. It's just ever so slightly more ki- kinder than Final Fantasy three. In, in Final Dungeon Gauntlets, and I don't think they're that bad. You know, at least like, some of the games I mentioned too from there, like Secret of Mana, Pure Land, and Mana Fortress. But there's like there's a save point between the Mana Fortress and Pure Land. So, mm-hmm. but, but except it, that it does, you have to that, actually, it's that climax. It is that climax, though. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the same thing here that you know Defenders of Oasis does. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of am okay with kind of stupid last dungeons a lot of the time like in final fantasy 4 i really just kind of love it and love how that game wraps up even though it's kind of ridiculous you mentioned shin megami tensei also and i know you i went you into the neutral ending and that's the cathedral that's the cathedral that's the weird thing with that is that the last dungeon is a Mm -hmm. tower to the top and a tower to the bottom and then the floor one is this huge labyrinth Right. Um, and I think the floor one labyrinth is completely optional to explore. Yeah, it's. I didn't right. realize yeah. that. I wish I'd realized that because it was <laughs> oh, very man. long. So if I replay that game, I can just. The cathedral, that though, that's a that's a good dungeon. <laughs> yeah, the the up to the top and up to the bottom are very cool, mm-hmm. tight dungeon designs. Mm-hmm. That's a good. Especially with the whole law, you know, law chaos thing going on with that one too. Yeah, the but duality that, the, going on there. The cathedral. Shit. I mean, the cathedral, man. That's a. That's a final part of that game. That game is, ooh, that game is good. Shin Megami really Tensei good. had some 
dungeons, let me tell you. That's a classy ass game. <laughs> oh, it is. That is a just classy. I never played game. it. I, I I won't really get into my. SMT I'm really I'm really excited to play two, so I can properly kill God <laughs> and everything. Two is two's pretty darn good. If you want, it's a little bit more story to two. Mm-hmm. Than, I've than heard one it's a little more linear than too. The one. It's a little bit more linear as well, but mm-hmm. um, I, I think you're gonna like it. Yeah, I bet I will. It, it does really. I'll tell you this though, its story does some really cool things. Awesome. On there, I think you're gonna. I, I think you'll like it. If you like Final Fantasy Legend, also with it, mm-hmm. there's good stuff in there. Oh, uh, that's one thing. In in Saga One, the last dungeon in both Saga One and Two is just is that are actually very short. They just repeat um, one floor about tw- mm-hmm. one short floor about twenty times. Um, yeah. And you know what? I kind of love that. Because the way that when you when you're getting dr- attacked in these random encounters that are so draining to your very paltry amount of resources at the end of both of those games, right mm-hmm. before the toughest fight in the game, mm-hmm. the way that instead of having like a grueling last dungeon, they have something much shorter, but it feels more grueling because you're having all these resources getting drained as you're going up these same floors over and over again, and you just don't know when it's going to end. Um, mm-hmm. Like the staircases in Final Fantasy VII or Metal Gear Solid. I think the, the Final Fantasy Legend one is like 24, I think, at least. Yeah. I think and, it's at least like 20 or something. And in yeah. Saga 2, you're descending into the center of the Earth, and you're going at like an accelerated pace through, down straight floors. So you have this sense of descent as you're going down, too, in addition mm-hmm. to the gruelingness of it. I, mm-hmm. I think that represents a very <laughs> strong alternative to the last dungeon, to the three-hour final dungeon gauntlet. Mm-hmm. True. But you know what's really cool? Mm-hmm. The voice samples for the bosses oh my God, in yeah. Islands oh, of Oasis. Yes. All the of them, bosses. what do they What do they cry out? I couldn't make I it out precisely. I think they, someone I figured it out. No, but it's just, it's just jarred. It doesn't really matter what they cry out because <sighs> it's Game Gear sampling, so it's so garbled, but you're just fighting this boss, and all of a sudden, all you hear is... It's all I amazing. could really pay attention to was the great boss music in that game oh instead. God. Yeah, the music in all Defenders of Oasis is just spectacular. Oh, oh that yeah. boss! That boss theme is my—I love that theme. Ooh. What's sad though is that uh, um, the composer Type O. I I looked him up and I can't find like like who this guy is or uh-huh. what other games he's composed. Mm-hmm. So, like, just trying to find more of his music. Uh, I haven't really like, been able to find that but um an interesting thing about the voices though is that in the game's credits they actually credit like two people with like the voice samples in that game and <laughs> i think it's kind of hilarious <laughs> to yeah because the two voice actors voice sample when you teleport too um so do you think we can talk about the uh, combat engine to defend his voices for a minute oh definitely sure, holy sure. moly um so there's a specific comparison i'm going to build towards um in defenders of oasis each of the characters, um, aside from one, the genie, who operates a little bit differently from the other characters in like a pretty interesting way, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. Um, has he has magic, and then everyone else has one specific move they can use that each ha- that each of them is useful, a special move that's useful in a lot of different situations. Um, I really like the thief's hide and assault co- mm-hmm. command, right? Oh yeah, the, oh yes, yeah, especially when you start getting that too and start playing around with it. Mm-hmm. It's the thief can do the Edward hide from Final Fantasy IV, um, except that when he's hiding, he can jump out and do another attack for even more damage. So it gives you an incentive to 
use the height in interesting ways. You just have to balance it. Well. I think it. I think it's specifically like a 1.5 multiplier on his cool. attack. I, I I read that somewhere in like a FAQ. Cool. I think. So you never yeah. feel like it's going to do more damage than just attacking twice. But if you can avoid a big attack at the same time, yeah. then. Especially since a lot of the enemies themselves can hide and mm-hmm. do surprise attacks. So, like, having him hidden during that time is mm-hmm. pretty useful. Especially especially when you first get him and you try not to have him, like, killed immediately. Yeah. It's yeah. a really tactical idea, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Salim's ability, the dance, he can use dance, which does less damage than an attack, but it hits all the enemies. So right. That's really helpful. I've noticed, though, that, like, uh, when I've used the, the dance command, mm-hmm. like, the total amount of damage he inflicts with that usually adds up to more than, like, mm-hmm. having him attack a single enemy. So it's it's very useful in that regard. Mm-hmm. And you just have to think about it. Like, when should yeah. I use this? I think the thing with a genie is that, A, he has magic, um, but also he, his HP and MP are, can only be increased with um, items, Unlike the other characters, and he doesn't equip any items. It's really cool. It's it's funny because like when you first get the genie, he's like this big powerhouse mm-hmm. bruiser sort of character. And then he doesn't level up. Yeah, he doesn't level up. So by the time you get him, right. all, he only does like one HP damage, and you can't take that much damage. And mm-hmm. you know, he kind of reminds me of like the robot from Saga Two, actually. Huh. Out of how his. Uh, uh, how you power him up in that regard, yeah. That makes sense. And the, <laughs> and the main character is the prince, and he can run. So that's, yeah. that's pretty useful. I think I, they can all defend, yeah. too. So ba- basically, when you play a game like Final Fantasy One, there's like 64 spells or something that you can get. And you have three different kinds of characters that can each learn the th- some of the three different schools of magic. Um... <laughs> And most most of the spells are worthless, um, <laughs> especially some of the offensive spells, which, all things considered, aren't are usually not as effective as just straight up attacking, mm-hmm. so. or cure three. So, I feel I don't think that Final Fantasy One is a very elegant game. Um, yeah, in its combat or in its story or in a lot about that experience. Like, um, did, yeah. Oh, I was going to say like the main antagonist of Final Fantasy 1 doesn't really even have, like, an easily definable uh, motive. Like, okay, so he dies, and then goes back in time, mm-hmm. and becomes chaos, and then the four fiends are involved in I some feel way. Like, and... I feel like the he's climax stu- of... He has a time loop stuck in his own paradox. I feel like the yeah. climax of Final Fantasy 1 is notable for the way that it is probably the first introduction of anime bullshit into the RPG canon. Yeah. That sound about fate? <laughs> that, okay. so, I mean, I guess... So uh, before... So, I, I mean that yeah. endearingly. Like, this is, that's some anime bullshit. <laughs> you get stuck in a time loop and then get... I'm going to send myself back in time by killing you and then die and then... It, time compression. <laughs> so again, it's, it speaks to not very elegant... But it does have kind of a ridiculous charm to it, I think. Like, um, when I was playing uh, the PS1 version of Final Fantasy One earlier this year, um, I compared it to like a high school student's like uh, writing. 
projects. <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, it wants to be this big, epic thing, but it doesn't understand how, like, epics work, per se. That's pretty fair. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that's notable about it. Um, but yeah, Final Fantasy 1 is a very, isn't a very elegant game. And I feel like comparing it with um, Final Fan- with Defenders of Oasis' very concise um, number of commands they give you access to in battles, you you get the characters you get in Defenders of Oasis are determined by the plot. It's not determined by which characters you pick. Right. Um, which I think is very noteworthy and important. They you can never customize your characters so that they're um, different on different playthroughs. They each have their own role, and that's the role you kind of, they're kind of stuck with. It is a lot like Final Fantasy, oh, no, like Fantasy Star One in that regard. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you have this small roster of characters, and they each have their own uh, roles in battle. Mm-hmm. And and like Final, and like Fantasy Star One, each of the characters in Defenders of Oasis have their own definable like uh, personality. Absolutely, uh, and they which, each they each have a reason to join the party as well. Yes, um, that's actually kind of like one of the things I don't really like about Fantasy Star 2. Like, it gives mm-hmm. you these eight characters and they have, like, a paragraph of backstory, mm-hmm. but, like, they don't respond in any way to the story beats, and so they, aside from that one paragraph of background, you don't really get a good grasp of what their yeah. personality is like, mm-hmm. and that's one thing Defenders of Oasis, I feel, kind of excels yeah. in that regard. Absolutely. And- I love the thief character. Oh yeah! <laughs> like when you grab when you um and then when you like search a skeleton for things and he's like, "Geez, you're looting a corpse. You're that's pretty fucked up, guy." <laughs> and um, when you're trying to get into the thieves' cave on during that one chapter mm-hmm. where you have to go into the thieves' cave, uh, he, um, you have the option to like say open sesame to try to open up the cave, and he kind of scolds you and say, "Well, if it was that easy, then." It wouldn't be that hard to get into, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's funny. Oh my god! <laughs> so th- there's a lot of hu- sly humor to it as well. Not yeah. as much as like a, a Mario RPG or something or an Earthbound, yeah. but there's, like, yeah, it's smart. It, there's some smart writing in it. I like that. Um, and basically, what I'm feeling, what I feel about Mother, uh, what I feel about Defenders of Oasis is that it reminds me a lot of Mother Three. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. Really? Yeah, because not so much Mother 3's story, but Mother 3's mechanical design uh, and okay. the way that it approaches oh, its combat. That. Okay. It doesn't have the music note um, or the sliding things. It's it's more traditional than that. But you have this small roster of characters that each have a specific purpose, mm-hmm. and none of the characters really overlap with each other. Um, even like in Earthbound, they, Earthbound has Pooh. Who is kind of redundant in comparison alongside mm-hmm. Ness and Paula? Um, kind of like a last-minute addition, that guy. Yeah, exactly. So Defenders of Oasis has that same kind of mechanical elegance to it that I think characterizes early dra- um, Dragon Quest and Mother Three. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's the only RPG from its era that I feel like kind of beats or meets Dragon Quest at its own game, because. Final Fantasy isn't Dragon Quest. It never tries to be Dragon Quest. No, mm-hmm. it's better at things than some, at some things than Dragon Quest is, but it's never as elegant mechanically as Dragon Quest mm-hmm. is. 
Dragon Quest One has one character, and he has four spells: heal, hurt, heal more, hurt, hurt more. Mm-hmm. Um, compare with Final Fantasy having sixty-four spells, three quarters of which are useless. Um, the thing is, too, and is some of them like literally useless because of bugs. Because of bugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in order to heal your poison in Final Fantasy One, you have to open two separate menu screens. <laughs> Um, as we keep speaking to like you know with each character having a specific purpose and everything mm-hmm. it's leading me more and more to think of another rpg from about 1992 yeah lunar oh, the silver yeah. star oh cool. i forgot that was from like 1992 Dang. the sega cd version which i love the sega cd version uh-huh. uh by the way if you want a really fast rpg play that uh but lunar the silver star and how it works like each character has a speci- has a specific role on there, like, you know, Alex is your main character. He's pretty basic. Uh, then you have, like, Nat. Nash, he's your, magi- he's your magician. On there, you have Mia, who's uh, actually a magician as well, but uses the opposite magic. Uses fire and ice instead. Nash uses lightning on there only instead. Then you have Jessica, who's your cleric. And cleric in the sense of D&D that she hits things really hard. <laughs> on there, and heals at the same time. She's great. And then uh, Kyle, who's your big physical attacker, he can't, you know, he can physically attack things and take damage. So he's best to put in the front while, you know, in the front there to take more damage along with, uh, you know, along with Alex once he becomes Dragon Master and gets all the Dragon Master skills on there, too. And it's like the skills in that game, too, are kind of story based, too, for Alex, at least. And then, you know, characters just gain skills on their own level and they're like they're not like. It's not like fire one, fire two. It's like you get a fire spell for one enemy. Now I get a fire spell for all enemies, and it grows as you level up. Oh, that's really cool. On there, too. So that's the other thing, too, with Lunar as well. And that's I'm what really makes, interested in Lunar. makes that one work. Yeah, uh, same. You know what? Play both Sega CD version and the PS1 <laughs> version to get the chance. Badass. Because I think, I think they both all have right. their own... They have their own advantages and disadvantages mm-hmm. on there. Ooh. I think both work really well. It's just whatever one you prefer... Uh-huh. I personally prefer the Sega CD version, actually, uh-huh. after playing it. Now, Lunar 2, thats complete. they're both actually very similar from there. I actually think Lunar 2 is a better game overall, but I do recommend playing Lunar 1 first to get some context. What about Lunar Legend on the GVA? Lunar Legend um, is uh, trash. You should just go play the Sega CD version. The G- game Boy Color? <laughs> Game Boy Advance. Game Boy Advance. Oh, I was thinking of Lufia on the on the Game Boy Color. Oh man, Lufia, Lufia. Game Boy Color is cool. Cool. Lufia that's Game, that Game Boy Color game is cool. That's the one that someone recommended to me. Um, I've I've never actually played that one. I, the only Lufia game I've actually beaten is the second one. <laughs> that's, anyway, the, that's I, the best one, right? I've, that's oh, one yeah. I want to play. The second one's the best one. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, the, the whole talk with the you know, characters having different things. It's you know 1992 also. So it's uh, it reminds you of Lunar. <laughs> yeah, it reminds you of Lunar. On there, I mean, Luffy. You know, Luffy has a um, different thing going on with it too. Yeah, Luffy, as I understand but... it, the allure is the is that it's an RPG with Zelda dungeons as opposed to an RPG with boring dungeons. It's an RPG with Zelda dungeons and one of the most massive stories you'll ever hear—a 16-bit RPG. Cool. <laughs> All right. So anyway, anyway, just reminds me of Lunar. You know, of yeah. Lunar. There, that's another 1992 RPG. It's kind of on a weird system. Yeah, you know, Sega no, CD that... also is Clubhouse Core. <laughs> oh yes oh especially oh, it, kind of, it kind of speaks to like the sort of uh experimental sort of revolutionary quality of uh like games on sega systems at this time mm-hmm. like kind of oh, how yeah. 
a lot of uh, now I love the hell out of out of like the Super Nintendo, but I I still have to say like uh, it does like have a lot of milk toast sort of absolutely mediocre stuff to it, and the Sega Genesis and CD and Game Gear was mm. just this house of uh, well I guess it's because it wasn't as popular in Japan like developers had more room to like just throw yeah, stuff on the wall and see what yeah to see what sticks so I, it, I feel like, like it's safe to say that even um the super nintendo's like massive successes have a way of being less um avant-garde less weird than the sega than the sega system's best successes because games like even ga- like just look at games like mario world and super metroid and Legend link to the past they are all kind of streamlined um, simpler uh, streamlined versions of older NES games in a lot of ways. When you look at the Sega, or those are those games are great though. You, when really the comparison oh, is games like yeah. um, Contra Three and Contra Hardcore, where oh. one is really boring and bad, and one of them is Contra Hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Castlevania Four and Castlevania Bloodlines, etc. Um, what the SNES SNESization can. There's a there's something about a lot of the SNES games that feels kind of milquetoast in comparison to how the Genesis approached games, even when they were mediocre. My whole problem with like the Nintendo systems too, actually, more doesn't come with the Super Nintendo. Uh-huh. More comes from the N64. Actually, is my issue with it, but that's another time, another place. <laughs> okay. On there for me at least. But yeah, I feel like there. although I feel the like... Genesis is my second favorite system of all time, I awesome. I love the Sega Genesis, and the Sega CD makes that system even better. Like, the Sega CD is a really cool system that really, oh my, there's so much good stuff on that system. Mm-hmm. That a lot of people don't even know, like, ignore because of FMV games. Uh-huh. And even some of those FMV games are pretty good. <laughs> Road Blasters, oh my god. Road Blasters, oh, like, I own, a, I own Double Switch. <laughs> oh I think gosh. it's safe to say at this point that the Genesis is less, is more underappreciated than the Super Nintendo. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you want to talk yeah. about underappreciated? We can go into some PC Engine Turbo Graphics stuff. But. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know much, as much as I should about that stuff. But all right, we're probably screwing a little off topic. Anyway, yes. we still have a whole other <laughs> game to get to. Are we going to wrap up with the Defenders here? Yeah. Um, I like the story and how it wraps up in that game. What do you all think? I thought the uh, ending was cute and nice. Yeah. Oh, the little chibi things in uh, the title. Uh, in the credits. Yeah. I thought that was really cute. That's and, like, each of the characters have their own little epilogue. And the thief guy gets trapped again. <laughs> <laughs> I like the line, hope rises from... I guess hope does rise from the ashes. And how it really... How the your one hope had been burnt, had just been... The rings had been destroyed. But then the spirit rises out of the ashes of the rings to save you from the... To save you in the final fight. Yeah. It, It's all, like, kind of Triton storybooky, maybe. But it's all very functional. It all and works. It, it wraps itself up very nicely. Yeah. So there's not something necessarily anything like too out there about the story in Defenders of Oasis, but mm. the way it contextualizes um, play and the way it's used um, is just so so functional. Um, and in that sense, I feel like Defenders of Oasis is kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. I will have to say that I really like the... Um, the themes of like the uh, uh, what I'm trying to say like the uh, 
mythological themes of Defenders of Oasis because it draws a lot from like Zoroastrian uh, mythology and a, a oh, lot of cool. other uh, Middle Eastern mythology. Like each of the actually each of the uh, monsters and bosses in that game, I think, are all named after Middle Eastern creatures of lore. Mm-hmm. And cool. like the main villain uh, uh, Ariman mm-hmm. is actually the um, like the main evil god of the Zoroastrian right. mythology. Oh, that's and right. A lot of theologians say that uh, Zoroastrianism is what like brought about the whole good god evil god sort of dynamic, uh-huh. which is uh, which is um, kind of what uh, early uh, Judeo mythology kind of copied. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, the antagonist of this game is literally the proto-Satan. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I thought that was really interesting. I really like this game. <laughs> it was a pretty it's neat game. It's a very interesting game. Yeah. And considering that, um, I think exactly a month after this came out in Japan, another JRPG for the game here came out, Fantasy Star Gaiden. Uh-huh. <sighs> okay, was so that, that was bad, guys, right? Have any of you guys like experienced Fantasy Star Gaiden in any way? No, I have not. <laughs> okay, oh, so think Dragon Quest Two, uh-huh. but a lot more boring. No, oh, like it has still... none of the. Oh man, Dragon Quest Two. Oh uh, yeah, Dragon I Quest really Two like is Dragon a, Quest more 2. fresh on my mind actually. So I'm, I'm actually in the middle of Dragon Quest Two, sort of Neat. off and on here, on that. But uh, I really like Dragon the, Quest Two. That game is actually that game Dragon is Quest pretty 2 good. Is nice, but mm-hmm. it's the least good one. It's the least good one, but that's not saying much. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's pretty much. So good. I pretty much agree. Like Dragon like, Quest Two and Nine are probably my least favorite Dragon mm-hmm. Quest games. That's, but they're still really good. Because yeah, that's what they are. Like. Fantasy Star Gaiden is just about every bit as hard as Dragon Quest II, but you get none of the auto-saving or the uh, booting you right back to, like, where you died if you die sort of uh, graces that Defenders of Oasis grants you. And considering this is a game that came out after Defenders, it's very egregious, and it's just not a very good game Mm -hmm. at all. So... But it wasn't done by the Fantasy Star people, so it, I guess that's that makes sense. Understandable. Oh, it's the it's but... the saga three of Fantasy Star. Okay. <laughs> Sounds about right. Or, or oh, the, well, or it's, it's, the other the other point. saga three of Fantasy Star is Fantasy Star three. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no. But you know, I'd like Fantasy Star three a little better than Fantasy Star Guide. I'd have to that's say. fair. Fantasy Star to three fair, seems weird. To be fair, I'm gonna admit this. Fantasy Star 3 was the first game I played in that series. <laughs> so, okay, so Fantasy fun. Star 3 is kind of a special game <laughs> to me. I, I understand I'm actually that, currently cause... playing Fantasy Star 3 on, like, the PS2 Fantasy Star, Fantasy Star Complete Collection. And that actually gives you the option to boost the um, walking speed and reduce the difficulty level. So it's a lot mm-hmm. more palatable on the PS2. That's cool. So That sounds nicer. To yeah. be fair, I, uh, Fantasy Star 3 is kind of a soft spot on there for me, so... <laughs> I, I understand, because my first Zelda game was Zelda 2. Oh, Zelda 2 is actually good, yes, so... Zelda 2 is really yeah, good. Yeah, Zelda 2 is actually it's actually good. a good game, but, but, but Fantasy but Star 3 some, I, but so many people not. Are like, so many people are like, 
Oh, Zelda 2, that's the worst one because it's so different. It's not like the other ones. Yeah. Well, I hope that, that, kind of, that that's kind of dying down. I'm starting to feel like it is. Yeah, it is. I think it is. Although I did see a clickbait list of a Zelda list, and I saw and the first thing of there was the worst Zelda game is Zelda 2, and I completely... Oh, nope. Not not looking at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. It's like, that's... I feel like that has passed, at least in my experience. People have kind of come around on that one. Not as much as Simon's Quest yet. All right. I don't, I don't know about that one. That's, that's like... Yeah, it's genuinely flawed in a lot of ways. Yeah, but it's still really good. I, really I know! Like Simon's I know. Quest. That's, the first, that's the first Castlevania game I played. Oh, that game's really cool. <laughs> All right. So, Defenders of Oasis. I really like it. What do you think, Frez? I think it was pretty great. The counter rate kind of drove me a bit batty, and the final dungeon was a bit long, but overall, it's a fun little game that you're kind of supposed to play in short bursts. It really did a lot of neat things, like the auto-saving and whatnot, and the limited character selection that just, they were specialized, like y'all said, and it was generally a good game, and it was worth my four bucks on the 3DS, so go get it, everybody. Well said. uh, Bill? Um, okay, so when I first finished this game, I thought it was an, I guess I thought it was an okay game, you know, not really bad in mm-hmm. much of anything, but not really, uh, like, outstandingly good in other, in other ways, and I kind of found it hard uh-huh. to suggest to people who weren't into this sort of game. And, like, even now, though, I, I guess I'd find it hard to suggest to people who aren't really into the whole uh, 8-bit JRPG niche, uh-huh. but I mean, looking at like what it does in comparison to a lot of its uh, predecessors and a lot of its peers at the time, I mean, it, it is amazing how a game like this would come out on like the Game Gear and just be completely ignored for the most part. Mm-hmm. I, this game is kind of, I mean, it's well well regarded among uh, Game Gear enthusiasts, but. <laughs> Slightly niche group, if there ever was one. Yeah, but I mean, this game could use a, a bigger. It, it needs more love, I, I'd say. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's fair. And I hear um, this, this is something else entirely, but um, this guy's working on a master system port of Defenders of Oasis. <laughs> and, oh wow! Like I'm, I'm kind of hoping that uh, that would draw will, some attention like, eventually. Yeah, draw some attention, because the Master System fan base, while I guess equally as niche, just having like that group love on Defenders of Oasis, that, that, I just think that's really cool. Making it more accessible to more people. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Radicals. Right. So, yeah. Cool. And, um, and uh, Tom, you haven't finished it, but you, what do you think so far? I've not finished it, but my thoughts on it, too. I think this is a really cool game. as Just as a handheld RPG, mm-hmm. the, whole, you know, the whole instant save thing really brings... You know, bring, that's something it brings to the table here. Cool. I think, it's, I think it's something really cool that, you know, you get from it, too. And I think that, you know, the, the world, character, story, setting, it all works with... You know, it all works. Mm-hmm. Uh, too. I, you know, it comes to a really good package. Well said. From that, I know it's definitely worth the four dollars. Uh, definitely worth four dollars to pay for on the game. Yeah, I think what's more notable. I think what's more noteworthy there is that I really think it's worth um, the time that you have to sink into it because these are RPGs and they take time. Mm-hmm. And I think that I have. I don't really come away from Defenders of Oasis with a whole lot to chew on in my brain. 
like I do with like a mother game, um, or even some of the better Final Fantasies. But or Saga. Or Saga, yeah, <laughs> or like Saga One. But yeah. I have this little warm spot in my heart, <laughs> and when I think about Defenders of Oasis, that little warm spot kind of flares up. It's which is kind of my experience with Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you kind of get the appeal of those games, then I feel like this game has something to offer. Okay, cool. well said. All right. All right. Next game. Next game. And the then we'll SNS close out with um, Fresno's pick for the next game we'll play in the SNS Clubhouse. Yes. All right, Bill. Okay. So, um, selecting this game for the uh, for the uh, SNS Clubhouse was kind of a challenge. Like I had a a bunch of other games in my head, like for what we wanted to play and um so essentially on twitter i hosted a uh a poll to see what everyone else wanted to play and i had among a genesis hack and slash a uh snes port of a turbo graphic 16 rpg um what was that um this is one case. game i gifted Hmm? <laughs> uh, oh yeah, Sudek. Uh, was it uh, no? Sudek? No. no or, it uh, was some weirdo game. I think I remember it being it, the Kawazu game. The, the other Kawazu game, Last Remnant. Last Remnant, that's right. And some other option. And we all decided uh, we wanted to play a uh, Genesis hack and slash. So from there, I, I was kind of torn between King Colossus and. Um, Crusaders of Senti. That was which, the other one. I, yeah, I mean, I've been interested in Crusaders of Senti for a while. Huh? I would have okay, so I was, sort, I was sort of hoping that you would pick Crusader of Senti. That was <laughs> my favorite Genesis games of all time and replaying that. That'd be a replay on actually on my end. See, the reason why I picked King Colossus, though, was I figured that at least one of us would have probably already have experienced uh, Crusaders of Senti. Yeah, yeah I mean, that would be it, me. Given its niche... Sort I mean, of, so. I, I, I give you props for going with King Colossus because, well, uh, I'm going to be honest here. I have never actually heard of this game before never, this. Either. <laughs> I have never heard of this so game. So it, it was really great to be sitting here in the year 2015 and there's this old video game I know nothing about and I'm going in completely blind. With you no know the best part about this game, too? Yeah. Like, nobody else knows about it, either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the scary there thing. That is... <laughs> weird like um, I remember video of a playthrough online on YouTube and it's the titles are all in Russian all the comments are in Russian oh gosh oh, my God. I did find like a series of uh, no hit no damage like runs of the boss fights in English but that's that's about it <laughs> that's about it as far as like English information um, like GameFAQs doesn't even have an FAQ on this game no that's just so weird um, but I first found out about this game back when the translation was first released around 2005 or 2006. And I remember this being like one of the first uh, Genesis fan-translated Genesis games of a game that wasn't like an action game. This was, I think this is one of the first uh, RPG, RPGs on the Genesis that was fan-translated. There's, and... a couple diff- there's a couple different ones. I know, you know, there's also Langrisir 2, that which came, is another one. That came like in 2010, though. I that think. was late, much later, though. Yeah. yeah. So, I... Like, uh, that sort of quality kind of 
drew me to that at first. Mm-hmm. So I played a little bit of it when I was like in high school, and admittedly, I didn't like it much. Uh, the slow movements and slow uh, attack speed kind of really turned me off on it, so I didn't really engage with it that much at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, earlier this year, Slow Beef from Retsuprey was tweeting about uh, King Colossus, and I was thinking, oh, I rec- recognize that game. And he seemed to, I guess, enjoy it a bit. So um, I thought about maybe, oh, this could be like a game we could revisit for the SNS Clubhouse. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, cool. That's a really... That's really rad how you've mm. had a little, you had kind of a relationship with this game That's and you got great. to revisit it and kind of complete that relationship. Mm-hmm. So what is King Colossus? King Colossus is an action RPG released June 26, 1992 for the Japanese Sega Mega Drive and nothing else. Like, um, this game doesn't even have a virtual console release in Japan. That's so crazy to me. Uh, See, this is also like a Sega game, isn't it? It's actually it developed is by developed Sega? by Sega, yes. And uh, it had the involvement of one Makoto Ogino, who was like an established mangaka, who uh, manga creator, who um, whose claim to fame at that time was the manga called uh, Kujako O O or Peacock King, and that game. Yeah, I've heard of. That game was actually the basis for, I know a couple of uh, a couple of Sega games before that. Have you guys heard of uh, Spellcaster for the Mega Drive? No, not Mega no. Drive, but um, Master Mystic System. Defender. No, um, like Mystic Defender for the Genesis. It okay. So uh, Kujako O um, also uh, like the Japanese version of Mystic Defender was yes Kujako O two. Mm-hmm. That one was, I actually have experience. I have that one. That that game is really good. Yeah, like the entire story of that game is based off of a manga that this guy who worked on this game created. Huh. Uh, so I'm not sure if there. I haven't really played well. much of a <laughs> Mystic Defender, but like uh, I know from playing a, a Famicom adaption of Kujako O One, like a, a lot of his stories have to do with. Um, Buddhist mythology and like evil gods and stuff, which kind of play a role in this game as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, evil gods and such. So uh, yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, well, revisiting this game now, I can mm-hmm. say I, I can uh, I can see why the uh, translator wanted to translate this game because it's actually pretty good. Um, it's really interesting. It's a really <laughs> weird story um, to come out, especially as an early Genesis game. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, what What do you think is ki- What do you all think is kind of like the thing about this game that leaps out to you? Well, I can say one thing, and it's definitely within context of our other playthroughs on this thing. It is is basically Lagoon done right. Yeah. Yes, I can agree with that. Mm. For me, I think... Yeah, yeah, continue, sorry. 
So you've got like a sword, but it has actual range. You've got a variety of weapons, some of which have longer range than others. Others like shooting all these others. So you've got lots of variety in your stuff. You've got a lot of really cool magic spells, and one which is really broken, which I'll get into a little later on. Uh, <laughs> but and it's generally just lagoon, but better. Like it's all this cool stuff, this janky ease action RPG sort of thing, but actually done without the janky part. It's well made for the most part. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think it compares very well with the original ease. Mm-hmm. I think that game's that probably a little less well put together, actually. You know, and, you know, a game I kept going back. To, uh, this game I kept going back to actually, as I kept playing this. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's going to agree with me here. Star Tropics. I oh, can I've been see wanting to that. play that game. Can, oh my gosh, John, you really need to play Star Tropics. Yes, you need to play Star Tropics now. It's one of my absolute favorite old Nintendo games. But yeah, I can definitely see what you mean because uh, there are platforming elements in King Colossus, and yeah. Well, <laughs> well, well, with the control for the jumping, it feels more like Star Tropics Two. Yes, Star Tropics. Uh, I mean, I mean, besides you know, kind of Star Tropics, Star Tropics Two, I, I was really going for here with it. But yeah, it feels a lot like that. Like, you have the jumping controls, you have the kind of stiff movement. Mm-hmm. I'm there. You know, Star Tropics Two is you know had the diagonal movement here, of course, but it's still kind of stiff. Uh huh. Just a little on there too. It's, it's yeah. Weird. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. Oh. To have pla- it's always weird. Funky having platforming in an RPG. Oh yeah. People seem to oh. complain a lot about that stuff in Xenogears. Well, Star yeah. Trek is just more of a uh, action adventure Zelda mm-hmm. thing, but yeah. King yeah, Colossus goes all action RPG. It's got levels and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right. Bill, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say like uh, from the little I've played of like the first two Star Tropics games, though they have a sort of a, a lean on, uh, like, Zelda-esque uh, puzzles, right? Right. It has more of a... Yeah. Right. Well, uh, King Colossus doesn't really have that much in the way of no. puzzles. No. And I remember the uh, fan translator comparing it more to, like, Saiken Densetsu, mm-hmm. which I can kind of see. Like, it doesn't have, like, sort of the epic scope that the first game had, but mm. it's kind of in its own condensed way. It is a very it is a very story based um action. It can get really heavy at times too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly I feel I think that the narrative contextualization in King Colossus was the most striking thing about it for me. Yeah. Okay. Are, are, yeah. are we gonna be able to get into this without without like spoilers? I think we, we should just you know, go ahead and not worry about spoilers. Spoiling. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, spoiler warning yeah. for anyone who hasn't played Kid King Colossus, there are spoilers at this point. Mm-hmm. If you want Lagoon but good, you should play it, and you, you can keep listening if you don't care about the spoilers, really. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just just mm-hmm. your fair warning, kids. I think that King Colossus has an overwhelming atmosphere of melancholy that kind of pervades the whole game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, what really impression as well. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, oh, I, my. I, the, the, like, I the first totally conversation you have is this old man berating you for... Mm-hmm. Like losing his sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and you think that this old guy's oh, he's just kind of an he's just kind of an asshole. He's a crotchety old man, but then he turns out to just be completely horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, that is the moment when the game sort of turns and turns the knife and it becomes really saga esque. With it's wow, this is mm-hmm. can I right. give you all kind of my reading of this game? Go all ahead. Right. Sure. I got all a right. reading too. I, I can give okay, after cool. the Um. So the beginning of the story is that your character, who you name, um, is born with a mark 
on has a mark on his hand and it's so it's implied that this is like the mark of the destined hero and whatnot like oh he's this is the this is the stigmata this is he's the jesus guy he's gonna save everybody now you are the destined hero who's gonna save the whole damn day um and then you fight a few dungeons and it turns out you've just been manipulated into fighting the dungeons to show that you're powerful and the mark actually designates you as a slave in this mm-hmm. game's world and your caretaker guy sells you into slavery um a couple like about an hour in and from there you're put into a coliseum where you're oh, introduced where you're introduced to a number of characters and then forced to fight in the Colosseum, including fighting some of the characters that you've met. Um, and you have to kill some of them, and also some of them die on their own. Oh gosh, mm. poor Paris. Yeah, poor, poor Paris. <laughs> um, just one by one. And it's just this relentless kind of grind with like five or six boss fights in a row where you're just put into this kind of rut. My favorite moment of the game is actually in this first Coliseum. Yeah, what happens? It's the final ba- it's the final battle in the Coliseum where Eerie comes up and the boss music just starts playing. Uh-huh. That oh, moment yeah. right there is the... That's my favorite boss battle in the game, too. Because yeah. it's the one boss that doesn't... Yet you can't cheat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'll get to the, the cheat part. Yeah, well, too. I mean, that boss is really good. And just... Oh. It's overall that moment right there. I was like, oh... Oh, shoot. <laughs> and talk about narrative contextualization of RPG tropes in a game. Yeah. Holy moly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story kind of progresses from there, um, where the whole world is kind of being downtrodden by this queen desire. And I, I just wrapped it up, so I'm kind of, this is all kind of fresh in my brain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and all of, the, all of the kings you meet are cowardly. Everyone is just kind of crushed under this, um, fascist leaders heal who and everyone is being sacrificed constantly to this great evil god um, agreed it's all the sense of this kind of these kind of systemic evils that just keep going and going and going um, and it feels like it's been that way for a while which is different from a lot yeah. of RPGs mm-hmm. so not only that um, so you fight and you get the legendary sword and it turns out you actually are the son of the destined king of the of the great ancient king, mm-hmm. um, and you are the destined hero and whatnot. Uh, I'm kind of skipping ahead a lot, just going oh yeah over the story. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. The middle part is sort of just like you re- well, reawakening to mm-hmm. your destiny after the Coliseum bits. Yeah, yeah. this is but just it turns out that you as you are the legendary hero. <laughs> yeah. So I've been kind of I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes or talk about something that they meant to talk about. And I'm just kind of going through the whole oh, with the basic plot and how that kind of yeah. was felt very striking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fine. But the end of the game, you beat, you kill the great god, um, and then the weird thing is, like after the climax, your dad tells you, "All right, now you are free, and you can pick what and you can do what you want." Um, and I feel like they're saying that the marking the person as someone destined to the mark being saying that this is a mark of a slave and then having it be this person is thrust into this role where they are the only one that can save everybody and they are forcibly just um, taken along this path 
And then at the very end of the game, when you're finally freed from that, they give you like a choice um, whether to go back to the castle and have the big king JRPG ending or just go out and live on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt to me like, okay, you, are not, you have finally been freed of the burden of being the JRPG hero. <laughs> uh, that's great. I noticed that reading. too. And, right? Yeah, and yeah. it gives you like the only choice in the entire game mm-hmm. that actually does like, something. Does something, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... well, here, here's the thing, though, because uh, it kind of tricked me, because at the end of the game, I was just mashing through the ending. I accidentally hit yes, and I'm like, oh, wait, uh, that was a choice? Oh, did that matter? So I had <laughs> yeah. to go back and load up my save and beat the final boss again, <laughs> except I screwed up, and I died to the boss, so I had to do it again. So I had to beat the final <laughs> boss three times to get I, uh, ending. I'll, I'll get into that when I do my <laughs> some of my thoughts, too. Yeah, well, there, I, I uh... get, so I, I'll get into my thoughts whenever you're... Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, wrote a, I wrote something for Fresno site about my thoughts on Mega Man 2. Oh, and yeah! the symbol of Mega Man's helmet. And yeah, the helmet being he the player the, avatar. Yeah, the he dons character. the helmet when the player takes control and then abandons it when he's ready to go home. Yeah. Yeah, um, so that was a really great write-up. Thank yeah. you for it again. Happy, happy to. So mm-hmm. it's not so much that this plot element in King Colossus is like super deep, big MGS2 deconstruction, everything. But it, it's playing around with the role of the player and the role of... Um, and the and the character avatar's um, will in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I found that to be very striking, kind of moving to see this character who has been thrust into this role be kind of freed and offered a choice at the end of the game. Mm, that's lovely. Yeah. And I mean, considering that the re- the rest of the game is just very straightforward. Go here, go here, go here. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have like a, a like, world map. Oh, really much of a world at all. Like mm-hmm. uh, each dungeon is a is a space on mm-hmm. a map. This, on a map, and you select from a, a menu where to go and then you go to that place and you do the thing and then you go out and then select the next place and, and really, it's very straightforward you're mostly being ordered what to do by other people exactly mm-hmm. and and even then it you don't get the sense that this is a big particular that this is the whole world it really just feels like three little islands and three yeah. little island kingdoms mm-hmm. um it felt very intimate yeah yeah it's also too that there's no safe there's no safety in that in that world either Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Like, especially in the second half of the game, too. There's no heal spot, or there's no, like, one heal spot, like, in the beginning, right, beginning of the game. right. There's only just the dungeons. That's it. You're separate from your sister, who is kind of the only source of, like, solace. Healing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the princess who falls in love with you is forced to be separate from you, too, because she has to go back into the castle where you can't go without being killed. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's very melancholic. It's very yeah. sad a lot of the time. And it makes sense for this story where he's just being dragged, where your character's just being dragged along by forces outside of his control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I quite read the whole him being dragged along. It does make sense, I guess, but yeah. it's also, but I'll get more into it. When it's I a, it's a video game. It's like, it's an old video game. And I feel like it just pokes at some of these tropes in an interesting way. Yeah. I'll get into it more when I talk, when I yap about it. Mm-hmm. It's probably comparable with something like half-life. Um, which does something similar with its conclusion. 
I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you? Th- what were you gonna say, Bill? Oh, um, well, that's actually kind of <laughs> like <laughs> what I got out of like that whole conclusion part. Like, mm-hmm. I found it really striking on how linear the entire uh, um, game was, and mm-hmm. I figured that was just because it was a very story-focused thing. But then it gives you that choice at the end, and I realized, oh, that's like the only choice that you make that really matters mm-hmm. and it kind of plays into this whole hero's destiny sort of thing mm-hmm. and yeah that's just really fascinating yeah in greek um, myth in like greek myths and whatnot um destiny was never like a good thing it was always <laughs> no. like you are destined to um die and your kingdom to fall apart or you to kill your own mom or or whatnot um because it was basically a metaphor for death, something that you can't ever escape from, right? Yeah. Right. And the character in the character in King Colossus is constantly surrounded by death, uh, and it's just, and you get the sense that this has been a really trying event. So, in a lot of RPGs and a lot of kind of bullshit movies, destiny is just shorthand for you're gonna be really awesome. Yeah. Right. You have a you. This is why you are awesome. Da 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 da. And I th- I felt like King Colossus kind of poked at that in an interesting way. Just a little bit, yeah. yeah. You know, um, a lot of the things that I've like read uh, on King Colossus, the few things that are on online at least, uh, they always bring up the question of, oh, why wasn't this uh, localized? Why wasn't this translated? This looks like a this looks like it would have been a perfect uh, candidate for like translation. And mm-hmm. I mean, oh yeah. Other than the extensive scripts i mean this is a very nihilistic sort of game it is very depressing (laughs) and Mm -hmm. kind of negative and i was wondering like maybe a game like this wouldn't have fit with uh the genesis's uh cool core audience attitude and the well actually the thing too with it though it does also kind of have this opposite to super nintendo rpgs like Yeah, it does have the kind of this like the whole nihilistic feel instead. Like you know, Super Nintendo RPGs have this whole kind of a little more happiness thing. You know, the whole de- you know Destiny's kind of awesome yeah. thing from it. This is an opposite, which is the Genesis whole core being is the opposite of the su- of the Super Nintendo. Well, I would it, point out that uh, that Fantasy Star Two came out here, and that game is bleak as hell too. <laughs> that so. game is that's true. Oh, that's true, huh? Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, I was so just I, thinking, it would have been kind of cool to see this game. I yeah. think this would have been really cool to see this game in it America. It would have, yeah. Mm. I'm, I mean, I'm, like, I'm, I'm really I, I get the I get the idea that maybe this game's attitude and uh, worldview might not have fit with the Genesis's um, American marketing and whatnot. I, yeah, I understand like, that completely. But then mm-hmm. again, yeah, Fantasy Star 2 is, is like the original grim, dark RPG. So... Maybe it's not. Well, so I guess. I guess it, it, they were also like it was 1989, and they were desperate to shove all sorts of things out there because, mm. oh wow, 16-bit, we can't do this on Nintendo. But by 1992, they could like mm. ease off that a little bit and just sort of pick and choose. If and that makes any thing, sense. Like Fantasy Star 2, it doesn't initially start off like that bleak. I mean, it's no. filled with a lot of. You gotta get to bright colors and bright music before you uh, yeah. get that bleak moment of like the guy blowing himself up. King Colossus, though, it's just filled with, like, browns and grays and mm-hmm. dark greens and stuff. And, it never and the really... music is even really, like, that dungeon music is just... 
Yeah. That Genesis beat, though. That dun- oh, yeah. dungeon music is... Oh, man. We'll get to I the music it. in a second, because I have a lot of things to say about the music. Oh, it totally. Is oh, okay. fantastic. But um, I was just saying, like, the, the Genesis back at that time was... Uh, marketed as this sort of... Uh, Genesis does Nintendo, you know, this sort of power fantasy thing mm-hmm. aimed at, like, young boys and stuff. And I was... Yeah. And, like, King Colossus kind of runs counter to the whole empowerment sort of... Uh, well, I, I kind of have a reading of that that kind oh, of... Oh, that's right. That too. So uh, I, let's get into, yeah. like, what your thoughts on that was. Oh, oh boy. I'm, I'm raring up. Yeah. So, uh, this is a game... About taking down the government. Yes, it is. Oh. Yes, it is. So, so <laughs> you, you're, you're in this world, and there's the system. Just the system. All hail Gryad. All these royal people are just like, oh, God is so lovely. We'll just make these peasants murder each other. It's so fun. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even, there's yeah. even the line there where, like, the, the guy who owns you when, when he buys you as a slave, he's just like, you fight for me and I get all the glory. Isn't this system just perfect? <laughs> I think that's what he says. Like, isn't this system perfect or something? something right. like, he really is. I'm not, I'm not being that hyperbolic, really. Yeah. I, I swear to God. And well, so basically, you uh, you fight. You're stuck in the system. All you have to do is fight for the glory of this dark god to resurrect this ancient being who will darken the world or whatever, and mm. profit all, and basically help all these rich people profit off of it who worship him. I mean, and there's even just undercurrents where, like, even before you get turned into a slave, there's like a tower you infiltrate where they're sacrificing a girl to, just because. Just because. <laughs> yeah. And that's what they do. It's like. And, and you go up there, and the guy's like, well, how dare you infiltrate this? I, I'm going to kill you now, because I... <laughs> how dare you? I'm in power, and you're trying to and you're trying to harsh on me? Well, I, I... I never. You are going to die now, because I say so. It has a progressive edge to it that something like Dragon and, Quest and, and, and well, maybe then, doesn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then slowly over the middle half of the game, like you said, you become the legendary hero. You get the sword. You get the thing. You go and meet all your destiny and whatnot. And then the end of the game is basically taking down this oppressive system. You mm-hmm. become yeah. like the Occupy Wall Street or the 60s utopianism. You take down the government. And there's this one, and there's that wonderful bit just before like the oh final battle, where right. the guy who owns you is running in terror from you, yes. screaming, and he's screaming to his guards, "Kill him! Kill him! He, he can't! He can't do! You can't do that! You can't do that!" Oh, you know the so cool thing about that section, though. That section, though. What's that? You don't have you don't have to run into any enemy in that section. Oh yeah, you don't. You can just avoid everything. You can avoid every enemy in that section too. Like even now, what's even more sort hilarious of... is like. Before, before that, you find some of those cult, grid cult guys from, like, the tower, and they're like, oh, man, worshipping a dark god is wrong. And it's like, <laughs> you yeah. willing to sacrifice a girl, so what changed? I, I changed your mind by saying, hey, you know, maybe maybe the lower class murdering each other for the pleasure of the ruling class isn't all that great. Maybe it isn't. (laughs) So you you run, so the guy is running from you, screaming at the guards to kill him, and then you make it to him, and he starts begging for his life, please, I'll give you anything, anything at all, anything, anything, ah ha ha, guess what, Gride's like, now you're gonna die, you're gonna die, ha 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 ha, I'm I'm the ruling class, I'm powerful. And then it gets crushed by the (laughs) I I think what he says too is like, "Uh, here, you're king now, you be king, you're good, you can go. (laughs) And then the Dark Lord Gryud is like, 
Yeah, you know, I am going to um, grant your wish and start I'm just going to murder everyone now. Uh, but I'm just going to, yeah, kill everyone and then just squishes him. And it's super cathartic and like, and then, oh, yes. and then it like goes into that uh, boss that. theme, which starts off uh, like low key and then just goes higher and higher. And it's just really awesome. That boss theme is my yeah. favorite piece in that in that game too. So. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's really like, good. It's the music. only boss theme in that in that game, but it somehow it is. It, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a good theme. It's a good theme to play in any boss theme and boss in that game too. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's nice that the point I mentioned too. I guess it's nice that you had like choice in the end, and it's all, it is about you becoming free. But in the process of freeing yourself, you take down the oppressive. You take the system completely down. You just wreck it and make your own one, and you choose. There's a good binary that I found in RPGs and just kind of stories in general of is this character fighting for or against the status quo? Oh. And in a game like Dragon Quest, the status quo is good and just, and it's being intruded on by this evil king from across the ri- the river, um, mm-hmm. this evil wizard, this other. Um, yeah. In a game like Kirby, um, the dreamland is magical and nice until this other creature, this other Lovecraft creature intrudes and starts making things awful. You fight well, also or, consider, or the yeah, cake is though. stolen. Well, yeah, also consider that uh, the first game, the villain wasn't an Eldritch Horror. It was a king. I, yeah, I've, if, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, – one of the people – one of the guests in the previous podcast um, said, why can't, why can't games be sometimes like Kirby, just not political, um, just for fun? And I'm like, Kirby's political as shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, – and I would have talked a great deal about um, – yeah, the first game you're fighting the king, the ruler, and then the second game you're fighting this – the king was good all along. It's really this other, this other person, this other being that's making everything bad. Destroy it. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, a game like Saga One, though, a game like, and to a, maybe a lesser extent, but still there, King Colossus, the oh, status yeah. quo is is fucked. Mm. And um, you just dismantle it because yeah. there's a better way. I think. That wouldn't resonate with me very much in King Colossus if there was only the yes ending. But the fact that you also have the option to turn down power mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just leave and leave and live the rest of your life happily alone um, yeah. makes it resonate. You have the option to walk away from the door at the end of Saga 1. It's like, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you here. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't really read into that choice thing until you guys mentioned it, but it makes my, re- <laughs> but it makes my reading so much better now. Because <laughs> in, in the, with the old system, you don't have a choice. You, mm-hmm. you suffer for the ruling class. Mm-hmm. Here, you have a choice. Exactly. You impose free will upon Where everything by taking, down God, by taking down the god of destruction. Mm-hmm. It's also weird to bring up the status, the whole status quo thing, and you know, fighting for or against it. I played a game along with King Colossus at the same time. They're very similar to each other. Mm-hmm. I played through Soul Blazer. Oh, cool! Oh. They look so nice. Soul Blazer is this sort of you know fighting for the status quo. That, you know, in that a dark mm-hmm. god, you know, dark evil Satan basically yeah. has made the, you know a king has made this deal with Satan to take a gold piece for every human soul he can offer, and Satan decides, <laughs> I'm going to take them all, <laughs> including the king. 
And God says, you know what? I'm going to forgive the king, but hey, can you go down and, you know, you know, restore everybody, basically. So you're trying to restore that same order, you know, and the you know king eventually, you know, that king you restore too. He learns, you know, maybe my way of life isn't so good. <laughs> maybe I should rethink every, you know, rethink my entire life. I sold my soul to the devil. Wait a minute. I did. It's like, you know, and also you learn why, also you learn why he did it to, why he did it too as well. Uh-huh. On that. It's for his wife. Oh. He did it all for his wife. Although then you learn his wife is kind of, um, is the kind of the real villain in this oh. also. Oh. From the, okay. like, sort of the, you know, sort of this guiding greed factor into it as well. And then there's the, basically then one scene happens there on the airship that's kind of, uh, well, the other, combina- the other combination too is this character also, Dr. Leo, who made the machine to summon the devil. Mm. On there. Oh my god, his that's whole, amazing. His story, and his whole story there, and his, the legacy he leaves behind with these different, an- these different animal friends <laughs> that he's had. And how they affect these different societies that you restore. On there oh. too, it, it, it's culmination into that too here. But actually, Soul Blazer and King Colossus are very similar to each other also, and cool. in gameplay also. I I've really never like actually Soul beaten. I, I've played a little bit of Soul Blazer, but I never actually went through and beat it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, Soul I Blazer really sounds really nice because you're literally like saving people's souls and. I mean, I, I just down. beat. I just rebeat Actraiser today, so that game is really good. That is, Maybe I'll go on a Quintet really kick. Actraiser is really good. Mm. Um, it's also uh, interesting in that like Actraiser was like one of the first uh, third person, um, third party developed games for the Super Famicom. But um, wasn't like Soul Blazer from 1992 as well? It I, is. It is. <laughs> oh my god. It is. Oh my like, god. This it, fucking year. 1992 like, must be the Shin best Megami, You know what else? Shin Megami, Shin Megami Tensei, Tensei is also... Which, if we're going to talk about um, just progressive dark games, that's probably just a whole new... Dragon Quest V? Oh, that was 1992? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh this year's God. perfect. Oh my God. It's yeah. kind of like... Uh, well, I guess uh, Megami Tensei 2 also had the whole Kill God thing, and that was like 1990, but that kind of... Uh, that would eventually blossom into the whole uh, late '90s sort of. Uh... It became a cliche, but yeah, at that point that it was something whole... special. It's a cliche, I yeah. like. It's a kind of a cliche I like too. But yeah, I'll... you know what? You know what? All of those games have in common. They were what? RPGs released after Final Fantasy IV. That's right. <laughs> I think that. I think that probably says a lot. To that changes it. some things. That changes some things too with that. Yeah, I, I Final Fantasy IV is my is my favorite of those games because I think it's the most elegant and the most interesting. I think it has mm. just it's just a very sharp story. I I, 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 I will always have a soft soft spot for six. Just... Yeah, I think six and seven are just as good, mm. and probably better and probably richer stories. Well, well, Pat, well Pat Pat said it best. Six and seven are the liminal Final yeah. Fantasies. It's when they shift from the old style to the new style. It's mm-hmm. just, and they're both really mercurial and liquid. They're really it. special. Right. Final mm-hmm. Fantasy is a whole... I don't think... <laughs> I think most of the people who would listen to this podcast this long know that Final Fantasy is something special. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, anyway, there's kind of my thoughts with uh, King Colossus and Soul Blazer actually at the same time. And I thought mm-hmm. those were very interesting to compare. Gotcha. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the... Uh, one Combat? neat trick about fighting the bosses and sure. Oh sure, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. So can I can I share my like little 
Sure. All right, so I, I I play through the game a bit. I, I I'm leveling up. I'm fighting the bosses, so they're pretty neat so far. And then I get to the forest, and there's this big giant thing with a huge hitbox, and I'm having a really difficult time hitting it without getting killed. So I'm like trying everything in desperation. And well, in this game, you have magic. You just have the magic, and you get more MP to cast the magic as you go. So you just know every spell automatically. I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying yes. these magic spells in desperation just to see what happens. And then, and then I find when time stop, which I, I just wrote off as a thing, oh, that won't work on a boss. I mean, this is because when has status magic ever worked on a boss in the game that isn't like Shin Megami Tensei? Uh-huh. Right. right? Or, any, or like later Atlas stuff, but we're talking like 1992. So, But no, time stop actually works on the bosses. And it works on pretty much every boss in the game. The only things... So once you know that, every boss just becomes like pretty much a joke only a couple are difficult the one you mentioned in the coliseum where you actually she's mm-hmm. immune to time Iria, stop. she's immune to time stop she actually jumps away when you use it yeah on so there. She and just, she just she stays off the screen until it goes away so i thought the more bosses would do that and that to figure it out but no actually every other boss aside from her is vulnerable to time stop the only Even ones the that god is like, yeah. susceptible to this the only <laughs> other the only other bosses that gave me trouble were one of the bosses of the castles because his weak point isn't immediately obvious, so it took me a, little, a try to figure out where it was. Is this the and, giant horse? The giant horse thing? Yeah, the, the, giant, uh, the that giant boss horse is really good though. King Kazard. Yeah. That yeah, boss yeah. is another one of my favorites. Oh, that's another one where I decided not to use like not to use the time stop at the first part. You break. on that and actually use like break out you know use my bow here to you know, cut to the sides. So I learned he can't yeah, hit the you out on the side from that. So you have to go through there, kind of cross the other side of the screen. And to save me, hit the other one, and just keep going with that. That's that's great. So and then the, time, and then time stop. Yeah, then time stop. And the only other thing that really gets hard is the final boss because there's like three forms, and you only get three time stops or so, something like that. Well, when I was only leveled up enough to get three time stops mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. my MP ran out. So I, you, I had to I had to space it out just a little bit. I think it's time to share my experience with that final boss. Go ahead, please do. Okay, so actually, I streamed the I streamed the last part of, of King Colossus from Lufelia Castle to the end. Mm-hmm. On this, so I got to stream the whole nightmarish dark world. Oh man, where where goes grayscale? Black and white. Yeah, the grayscale, the yeah. grayscale dark world. That was really cool. I like that. Rem- again, okay. remind oh, me of Star that was Tropics really cool Two. Star Tropics Two does the same thing when the huh, end game. It does. Yeah, they do a boss rush and it goes a grayscale. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's really cool. That's crazy. Any okay, yeah. Anyway, I got to stream, you know, stream that part there too, and I can cause the final boss. So the final boss, I actually didn't use the time stop in that first form. Ooh. Like if, I think Zealous watched it recently too. I didn't use yeah. the time stop in that boss at all. It's not a very hard boss. No, it's not. Like being able to run away from it, it just kind of just sort of timed it a little bit too. Time stop was basically just my panic button for this game because mm-hmm. after get after getting wrecked by the hitboxes on that first guy, I was like, yeah, if this works, I'm using it. I'm not doing anything. Oh yeah. Shit. But um, anyway, I beat that fr- that boss there. So like, okay, so that's that form. Then you get sucked into the that dark portal, to you know the final the final form, the final two forms there. So I'm starting to use time stop here too. And I actually I beat the first form, and then I beat I'm using ju- I use jumping slashes because you do a little bit more damage by doing that with the sword. I did the same, yeah. So I did the final strike to the final boss. And it started to explode, <laughs> but then I jumped right into the boss as it's exploding and died. Oh, double oh. KO! <laughs> oh, oh, oh no. my god! Yeah, 
Uh, that death did not happen. That death did not happen. We just, you know, just, you know what? Reload. <laughs> I did save. I did save state right before that final bot. It's a good thing you use save states too, because, um, like as you've noticed, uh, like that whole time you're chasing uh, Carleem, that the owner, your your owner, you can't um, save. You can't save. So if you die at any point during the final boss, you have to go through his uh, like statue minions. Chase. Like, I think you still ha- you even have to like go up the. Ele- the elevator leading up to him, and mm-hmm. uh, like go through his statue minions, and then reinitiate the final boss with uh, greed after that cutscene, and then mm-hmm. like fight through all four of his forms again. So to be fair, that first one is really cool. It is. It is. That first one's cool. <laughs> but like just having to do that every time you die at the final boss, it, I guess it would get kind of annoying if it wasn't so awesome. And, and to be fair, save save mostly because my actual rom wasn't saving actually I so noticed that. I, yeah okay i don't know why my, my i don't know why it wasn't back. there but i don't know why this maybe my configuration settings on there but it's the only game i really had trouble with also with that too so i'm wondering hmm. mm. i don't well, know well it is it is you can save anywhere so that's nice too. yeah i mean that, that is true. really nice but um when you reload your save it'll take you back to like the first entrance you walk through yeah. So if you were to fall through a like a platforming section, if you reload your safe, you're gonna to have to do the platforming session again. So, mm-hmm. on the other hand, if you fa- if on the other hand, I found if you fail the platforming section, I liked to just uh, save before that platforming session. Then if I fall, I would reload. I would reset and reload because that's faster than shagging around in the basement of wherever you fell through. And I did the same thing. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's that's oh, one I... detriment that King Colossus has. Is that the platforming, not difficult but tedious. It didn't the have to be either. tough, but I didn't have too much trouble with it. I suppose you saw my stream there, Zelda. I didn't have too much trouble with you it. You did better than I did, really. <laughs> like um, during the final dungeon, there was this one section of the final platforming section where, uh, like, these four platforms, like, um, next to each other quickly appear in order and then disappear in order. And yeah. Yeah. Um, Mega Man style. Like, on that part, I would always get to, like, the third or fourth block, and before I could jump, it would disappear under from underneath me, and I couldn't figure out how to do that. But, like, for some reason, you got it, like, on the first try and never had any problem with it, and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, like... I, I did just sort of watch it, though, just, like, what the timing was. I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. Want to? It's, it's a Mega Man pattern. I'm like, okay, this is. Yeah. I've, I've done. Me- I can do Mega Man. I can do this. <laughs> but um. Yeah, like the platforming section, just the platforming in general in that game, I could. I feel like the game really didn't. It doesn't really add much to the game at all because it forces you to backtrack to an earlier. You fall. To, yeah, and mm. it just getting back to where you were take could take like two to three minutes and it i, I don't know it just felt like padding but other yeah, than that's that frust- that can be frustrating mm-hmm. um other than that though uh the dungeons were interestingly uh put they were together really interesting they reminded me yeah. of um, yeah. soccer mm-hmm. frontier dungeons where they have one-way paths mm-hmm. and that just really adds a lot to the dungeon design from something that's usually pretty standard but when you have 
doors you can't walk back and forth through, it really changes up how you think about these basically grid-like shapes mm -hmm. uh, uh, and architecture. I thought that was cool. And it was, like, really interesting to see a game this vintage to include, like, side um, passage into, uh, like, having doors and corners and stuff. Like, yeah. Usually it's just... One on the yeah, top. it wasn't just the Legend of Zelda format. It was yeah. something more right. nuanced than that. And I thought I remember the early Forest of Illusion type deal. Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that was yeah. really cool. Mm -hmm. That resonated with me a lot. Didn't care much for like the invisible uh, pitfalls though. Like later on in that. Oh yeah, okay. That was uh, that was pretty that was pretty trash. I, I used some safe states. I used some safe states there. Oh, God. You're better off for it, really. Yeah. There was some treasure oh. hidden beneath it, which was nice. Um, I found it interesting how you could only hold one medical herb at a time, and if you were to like find one in a box while you still had one, it would automatically use the one that you already had. So you kind of had to be cautious about like what treasure chest you were opening. Like the silver ones were always like equipment or something, but the brown ones you could uh, come across a uh, medical herb and use it when, like, you could have just saved it for when your your health was uh, in critical condition because mm. health pickups in that game, kind of, uh, not rare, but just random. Stingy-ish, yeah. Yeah, space out your hits, too. You know, space out when you're getting hit, too, on that. That's just, you know, it's kind of tense. It's a tense game. Oh yeah, on there because enemies still do damage. Like, even if you're leveling up too, enemies still do damage. <laughs> yeah, they really do. Quite a bit of it. And if you're a little under leveled, they do lots of damage. Like I remember in the tower, oh, yeah. like those night guys, they like two shotted me, and I was like, wow, this is different. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess, but I guess to counterbalance that, like the fact that each of your weapons has its unique range of attack. Um, I I guess to bring up the old uh now old uh, cliche, it was kind of like a Souls game in that <laughs> you could take different uh, approaches to the combat depending on what mm -hmm. weapon you were using. I really, oh, yeah. If you're crazy like I am, you can actually use the ball and chain weapon. <laughs> I, no, I really like flail type weapons, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's the one that starts flinging balls everywhere. Mm -hmm. That one was kind of... That was cool. It was a little hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit unpredictable. I I stuck with the sword, just mm -hmm. basically. I like the ones but, that spin around you and stay yeah. on the thing. But but even with that, it it, it 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 like I said, it really is just a better version of Lagoon. And mm -hmm. it, what's what's funny, I got an interesting story here for that, is that I knew there's a guy on Twitter I follow who uh, he was doing a let's play of Lagoon. So uh, and I, I I having played it for SNS plays, I made a couple of snarky tweets about oh boy, I bet you're gonna have fun with that Lagoon. So when I beat King Colossus, I mentioned it to him that King Colossus is like Lagoon but better, and he looked into it and he seemed to really like it. So, oh wow, that's cool. That's really rad. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I guess like initially I didn't much like the ball and chain weapons, especially that first one. But I did find it interesting that the boss that came after it was kind of designed around that sort of weapon because the um the boss after it the uh corrupt greed priest who tries to sacrifice the the blacksmith's daughter like his second <laughs> form spits out these annoying bats that you can't really hit very well with the sword but so I, had, 
Um, but like but, the weapon that goes around, though, that's yeah. Yeah, and like sort of haphazard bouncing uh, pattern of the balls you launch kind of help in that regard too. So I've just found it really interesting how uh, different uh, situations that in that game called for the usage of different weapons. And um, okay, so when you first get the legendary sword. It, I found it really odd that uh, I think sometime after that, or maybe sometime before before that, uh, you pick up another ball and chain weapon, and it does the exact same amount of damage as the legendary sword did in that state. So I just <laughs> ended up using the ball and chain because it had more reach, and you could actually... It's true, that I used it too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you could actually reach enemies that were on a higher plane than you because the game handles... Uh, planes differently like uh leading up to that this... that one yeah. temple the one temple you're talking about with the uh yeah. like you're going up the you know going up the temple yes up there that's underground to the sword to the sword yeah mm-hmm. like uh, on that temple there are these golems just patrolling around it and like you can't really hit them with like you can't, you're not supposed to hit them from the level you're at right now. But if you equip the ball and chain, like, and hit them from a certain wall, like if you face toward the wall and you're facing sideways, it's uh, you can actually reach out and hit them, and that makes for like easy experience points and gold and stuff. So, I thought I thought just like the utility, uh, the utility of some of these weapons was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess another thing about the uh, battle system is that I initially didn't like it, but I do like. I can appreciate now, like how uh, your character moves really slowly and attacks slowly. So the game becomes more about knowing where your enemy is going to be at at all times and trying to like work around that. You know, especially when you have like an axe or a sword that doesn't have a lot of uh, range. So it really makes you think about like uh, enemy encounters and boss encounters especially because you're having to figure out where can you hit this boss without incurring damage yourself. And it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Castlevania in that respect, just having to take into account how slow you attack, how slow you move. Because I think every enemy in that game moves faster than you, so probably yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, how about that soundtrack, guys? Damn, oh, that was really cool. Man, that soundtrack. <laughs> uh, so the soundtrack was composed by this guy named uh, Kenichiro Isoda, which uh, I looked him up, and the only other game. I've heard of that he he's composed was uh, this one shmup on the Genesis called Biohazard Battle. Mm-hmm. And I played that briefly. I think that's on the Steam Genesis pack. It is. Um, it's essentially this. Uh, without getting too much into it, it's essentially this shmup where instead of controlling a ship, you control like this, like these uh, this array of weird looking insects, and you go off into this dark mutated world and fight other weird mutated insects and it has this very uh 
bass heavy like not exactly ambient but very odd soundtrack to it that gives yeah, it a really lot of its flavor and uh king colossus's um soundtrack kind of so borrows that whole like the genesis that strong genesis base exactly biohazard battle and that also gives that game it's it's a very crunchy uh fm soundtrack that is really stand out and although the a lot of the songs are based off of like one or two like all the songs seem to be based off of like two different leaf motifs or however you pronounce that thing uh like there are different songs on the game in the game but uh each of the composition each of the compositions are based off of like two different compositions but uh even so like each song has its own sort of i guess flavor to it which makes the soundtrack in general just very really uh pleasant to listen to mm-hmm. yeah yeah you really notice the um reuse of themes in the ending mm-hmm. just the credit oh, yeah. theme and credit yeah. theme too yeah so i think the i think the music in king colossus is really special um thinking about the boss think about think about how the combat stuff is presented i it, it is kind of weird that all the bosses can be just trivialized with the magic that's probably part of why the experience of playing the game didn't jump out at me as much as um, Defenders of Oasis where everything just felt so well considered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about the magic though is that the game at, the game never really the magic yeah. is never really presented at, at all. You could just play the game and not even know it's there. Like, like it's I really did weird. until I tried in desperation on that boss, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot different from Lagoon. That That's one of the things that really broke Lagoon, was that the bosses were these giant things that drained your health massively, and you couldn't heal or use magic on them or nothing. Right. Whereas in, whereas in King Colossus here, yeah, you can do both of those, and that sort of makes the bosses a little trivial, but at the same time, I don't know if it's really about that. The dungeons are challenging enough, as they are too, so it doesn't really break it that badly, I don't think. See, like, uh, I think the magic was probably introduced as... Like, there's no storyline basis as to why you have these spot five spells from the onset. It's kind of like, well, maybe the developers put that in as a last-minute addition to maybe make the game more accessible to players who didn't have the patience that makes to sense. really engage with the uh, battle system. And I mean, I guess that's why no one ever brings up why you have these five magic spells that work on a dark god. You know? <laughs> uh, so, I, I, I'll, if I ever play this game again, I probably would, like, maybe uh, do a, try to do a no magic run, because that sounds like... Uh, to like be the fully game. honest, yeah? I didn't use any other spell besides the time stop. <laughs> On there. I, I, I think I I didn't use any twice. other spell. <laughs> I might use some of the others once or twice. Just try them out. But yeah, once you figure out time stop works on the bosses, it's just like, why why would you need anything else? Because the rest of the game too. Also, really, I mean, I played the game without magic basically at this you know same, at this point same. too. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no, I found no real reason to use the magic at all in the, you know, in the dungeons. Or, you know, when just fighting the regular enemies, I was able to take care of of them. You know why I didn't use magic in the dungeons? 
So I wanted to save my MP for the bosses? Yeah, because yeah. I was saving up for my time steps. <laughs> exactly. So, like, the the uh, magic is just completely, I guess, trivial for those who don't want to uh, engage with it. It's just a, I guess, I guess you could say it's a crutch for uh, less experienced players, but I probably wouldn't put it in those terms. In a sense, that's kind of a nice... That's kind yeah, of nice. Yeah, it is then. very it's nice. It's always nice when yes. these games have an out, you know? Because <laughs> a game like Secret of Mana, the oh magic trivializes the bosses. But <laughs> also, without using the magic, it's miserable. So Because like I have the tigers, like, attacks that I can't dodge in Secret of Mana. That just... What? Yeah. It doesn't function as a game without using yeah. the magic. And like I, when, like I said, when you introduce the magic, what... it becomes boring. This is so. why Spiky Tiger is the hardest boss in Secret of Mana, because it, he just spams unavoidable attacks, and you have no thing to spam right back at him. Or any walls at this point, either. It's hard, and then there's bullshit, and that's yeah. bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. After seeing the Spiky Tiger Let's Plays from the very first uh, Let's Play Olympics, I have, I've had no desire to revisit Secret of Mana. Let me tell you, that took me a couple tries to get that in one go. So I remember when I first played Secret of Mana. The Spiky Tiger was a that was a wall, <sighs> but then I beat it. Yeah, and it felt good. <laughs> I played Secret of Mana last year, last a couple months ago with Anna, and I have no desire to go back to the game either. <laughs> well, you've experienced. Go, play, most go of just play Secret of Mana. You'll be fine. <laughs> Oh okay, I might go, go back. Go play Secret Evermore. Go play what? Oh, go play Secret Evermore. Yes, I want to go play. Someone Secret keeps Evermore. yelling at me to play Secret Evermore, and like I do, I do want to get to it someday, but I'm also lazy. That has such a nice soundtrack to it, Secret of Evermore. Like, um, it doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, traditionally composed music, but it has oh. a lot of these amb- ambiance pieces to it. That soundtrack's really cool too, because who composed that is Jeremy Soule. Ooh. Who, did, That's who, right, yeah. who did the uh, Elder Scrolls soundtracks? Mm-hmm. Like earlier this year, they were. I don't uh, like the I... soundtracks at all, but I love Secret of Evermore. <laughs> <laughs> and Secret of Evermore has like alchemy in it too. So man, that's yes. another thing. I love me some alchemy. Its magic system is really cool because it's based on items. Yay! Um, now, um, John, if you're interested in playing Secret of Evermore, I uh, am. Keep in mind that the original release. Like doesn't have the whole multiplayer aspect that Seeker of Mana has. I, don't, I give no fucks. <laughs> well, I mean, like, um, th- but there is this one patch that you can get to uh-huh. where it will let you uh, have a second player control your companion dog. And okay. so, like, if you like wanted to uh, play with Anna, yeah, hey, Anna, want to play as a puppy? <laughs> and a lot of the a lot of the puzzles in that game require. Uh, like the use of switching back to the dog, so okay. like having two players play that game would, I imagine, makes a lot of would, sense. Yeah, it would streamline things a lot more. Hey, Anna, you want to play as a giant mecha death toaster? <laughs> want to play something that's like Secret of Mana, but good? I'm more headbutts. <laughs> when you're playing as a, but you can play as a toaster. That's <laughs> basically like, that's basically how I've always conceptualized Evermore so, with Secret of Mana, but like, good. So you can play as K9 from Doctor Who, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Maybe cool. you can also play oh, as a poodle. Oh my god! Cool. All right. Okay. Do you think so... we're. Do you think we're. Do we, do we have many more thoughts on uh, King Colossus? 
It's wonderful, and you ought to I, play it and take down the government. That game is good. That's a really good Genesis game that I do think still that I think yeah. in America should have been made, honestly. On the other hand, though, it was really, really nice, like I said, to get a, a new old game, a, a proper mm-hmm. like game that just came right? out and fell between the cracks and nobody ever really talked about. Like, a lot of imports, people, like, talk up left and right. So, yeah. you, might, so you already know, oh, okay, this import is really good. I already know the score. I've seen people on the yeah, and, and Genesis games, too, have those, like, Pulse Man, Alien Soldier... Stuff like yeah. that. So oh, but it's like, God, Star, um, Star Ocean is the most important thing ever. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. Seiken Densetsu 3 is better than Jesus. Oh, my okay. gosh. I've got, i got to say, though, I do have kind of a soft spot for Seiken Densetsu 3, even though it has a lot of the bullshit of Secret of Mana, but we're not going into that. Gotcha. Um, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy that I got to revisit King Colossus, and I guess in a lesser extent, Defenders of Oasis, because I did mm-hmm. like play a little bit of it when I was first getting into Game Gear emulation. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just so happy I got to revisit these games and find out that oh my gosh, these are really good games, and why isn't anyone talking about them? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah. now we have a whole podcast dedicated to them. Yay! <laughs> Our little Yay. tribute. To these cool. I thought King. Cl- I think King, King Colossus is really good too. I enjoyed my time with it quite a lot. Yeah. All right. Are we, is more love. <laughs> do we have any more? Uh, are we okay closing out with um, Fresno's pick for uh, what game the clubhouse will play next for October? That's oh boy, Fresno! What are we playing? Okay. Well, this is this is a game I've been wanting to suggest for a while, and I always thought, yeah, we're going to definitely suggest this in October because it's sort of spooky. Ooh, so but, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's not like King Colossus because this is an import game that everyone and their mother has talked about. Mm-hmm. But it's still one that none of us have played, and it's really important mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It is Capcom's Sweet Home for the Famicom. <laughs> now let me stop you right there because I have played this game. Okay. And was uh didn't get very far in it because I, mm-hmm. I thought. At the time, it was really, really scary. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, okay. that, that's, that's all the more now, better for the spooky season. Do I have it to is... watch the movie also? Nah. If you can somebody find wants to, If somebody wants to watch the movie and talk, mention that on the podcast, that would probably be cool. If I, okay, if I, I can find it subbed, I'll watch it. Cool. I've seen the movie in stills, and it's, it's a... It's a good. It's a good movie to watch if you want to laugh at uh, cheesy '80s Japanese horror movie stuff. There we go. If I want, if I want a cheesy, if I want a cheesy, scary Japanese horror movie, I'll watch Haosu, mm-hmm. which I've never actually seen, but it looks like the, the most Gonzo it looks horror movie I've ever <laughs> looked at, and I, I would watch it sometime because it looks ridiculous and great. But Sweet Home is a well, it may be the progenitor of Resident Evil and survival horror, like the secret history of survival horror and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know if like Shinji Murakami or whatever offhand worked Play on it. it. Well, from what I hear, uh, Resident Evil, like in its planning stages, was apparently supposed to be a remake of uh, Sweet Home. And you can kind of see this really? because in both Sweet Home and uh, Resident Evil, it has that sort of those door opening loading screens, mm-hmm. like that wow, in really? Resident Evil was actually in Sweet Home, just in yeah. sprite form. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. 
Yeah. But like I said, it also I, has I, permadeath, so it has does, a lot of the. Yeah. It has a lot of the um, same DNA as survival horror games. Yeah, because yeah. like all your ca- like I, I remember this because the Happy Video Game Nerd talked about it. So it's another of these games. It's like it's well known, like in the top ten import games that shouldn't be forgotten and are the best things ever. But uh, yeah, basically you got five party members and you you split them up like into groups of two. And each one has, like, a special skill. Like, there's a guy with a camera who can look at things. There's a guy with a lighter. There's someone with a med kit who can heal people up. But, yeah, but if they die, they die, and you lose out, and you can't access certain areas anymore. I don't know if you can get a permanent fail state from that or not. I think you can, actually. It sounds like it's a lot of adventure elements, too, which sounds pretty cool, too. Yeah, like you Uh, have to... Like, adventure game elements, you know, like, investigating, investigating this mansion on there too which i've seen a little bit of this game too i've not played it myself uh yeah. looks like uh it's actually a good chance for me to get into more survival horror which i've been meaning to do oh and, and, sweet, and sweet home is one of those games that i've been wanting to do i'd like to get yeah. into that that and the uh there's some other ones too <laughs> yeah and so. um like there are multiple endings depending on how many people make it through the mansion alive so uh and i hear like making it through with just one person at the very end is super hard because you can't actually go through some of these puzzles with just one person, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a very fascinating game. It's I'm really like excited something. to play it. I, I, I am excited to dig into it. I hope it's great, because the internet has been telling us that it's great. I don't know. It could be another like thing. Then again, the internet says The Secret of Man is like the 19th best Super Nintendo game ever, and we all know how you feel about that, John. <laughs> That's awfully specific. <laughs> So, I'm hoping that the hype for Sweet Home is good, and it'll, and well, it's October, so it'll fit in with the whole mood of the month. It's getting spooky season. I love spooky season. You, do you guys like spooky stuff? I love the spooky season. I like I spooky season. I like. I love them skeletons. You're gonna. You, we're gonna be watching our scary movies. We're gonna be playing our obscure scary computer game from 1989 or whatever. Mm. It's gonna be fun. All right. All right. So, well, I'll be making a thread for that in a few days. Okay. I don't know if it'll be up by the time this podcast goes up, but if if y'all want to play, if you're hit sitting here and you're thinking, "Gee, I'd love to play Sweet Home," you know, it sounds like fun. I'd try it with a bunch of you, you Gonzo kids. Mm. Then uh, sign up for the forums and uh, join on in. Everyone's welcome. Go ahead. All right. Um, Fresno, right. where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me online at f- twitter.com slash freezinginferno, and I sometimes blog about Doctor Who and occasionally video games on nintendoprojectresumed.blogspot.com. Gotcha. Um, Tom? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. Uh, I'm uh, JetSwarm4 on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me sometimes, too, on a blog spot that I do update sometimes, uh, reallyusefulengine.blogspot.com. And Bill? Okay, so um, I'm on Twitter, uh, Super Nerd, at SuperNerdZeloz, no spaces. Uh, and that's Z-E-L-O-Z, if you... Whatever. And I'm also on WordPress, uh, PS1E at WordPress.com. It's like my blog where I dump crap in, and I haven't really dumped anything on there recently, but I'm thinking about maybe writing some more things. I used to do this whole... Uh, Chrono Gaming and the Super Nintendo thing, but uh, I thought some of those uh, articles were kind of crappy, so I kind of want to do mm, reboot that. But mm. I don't know. So, uh, keep your eye on that, and I might just post something or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. 
Gotcha. All right, and you can find me in my Twitter link at farawaytimes.com. All right, thanks to all of you for listening. Um, have a great day. Bye. Bye. See ya.